eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino, and as always, I am joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Gerard Hurricane Martinez, or some of you may know as Troy Annenberg. Troy, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. It's been a, been a little while. I was uh, not a professional writer at that point. I had not uh, <laughs> fully graduated from college, so that is my uh, fan surname moniker that I used to go on uh, back when I was um, just a poster on the P. Just a guy with a comp subscription putting together some target lists for Ryan Abraham. And some people still call you this. Some people still refer to you as this, correct? A little old school nickname, a little uh, inside. Some of the some of the, uh, some of the quote unquote old timers, yeah. Uh, some of the guys that have been on there for uh, you know uh, the past twenty years, because that's basically how long it's been. They still sometimes refer to me as TA. Sometimes they you know refer to me as. Um, Gerald Martinez. Sometimes it's you know TA. Just depends on necessarily you know what what the context is. You know sometimes they go yeah you know Gerard's cool, but uh, we really like that Gerald guy a little better. He is he usually has better news for us. That is true. That is true. And then the new generation knows you as Hurricane. So lots of <laughs> nicknames going on uh, for Mister uh, Gerard Martinez. Now Gerard, before we jump into today's show, we have lots to talk about. I did want to bring up very briefly, very briefly, keyword being briefly, Gerard, is a uh, board post or thread that was started last week about our show. Some very passionate composite two-star recruits, listeners, fans made a, a board post about the length of our podcast. And I just wanted to address it uh, very briefly at the top of the show because I feel like we have sort of started a civil war on uh, the peristyle and among fans of this show, the Composite Two Star Recruits podcast, that some want our stuff to be shorter, but others, I would say the vast majority, want us to talk for six hours, mainly you to talk for six hours. So I just want to say we appreciate, I appreciate the the feedback and advice and suggestions about the length of the podcast. Um, but this is a show where I like to let Gerard do his thing. If I try to cut Gerard off or I try to uh, cage Gerard on anything that he talks about, 
I get messages about it. They don't want me to shut down the hurricane. I cannot contain a hurricane. I just have to batter down and hope I wake up the next morning. That's all I can do on this podcast. So if it goes two and a half hours, it goes two and a half hours. It goes three three hours. We're still chasing that mythical three hours. Uh, then it happens. Uh, but this is a long form podcast and that will be the norm in the future. But I have listened to the suggestions about it and I will be doing timestamps. I'm doing timestamps for this episode, our 25th episode, because I feel like that will help a lot of people who don't have the time or want to listen to a full podcast. They can uh, jump around to see what topics we talk about. Um, Gerard, I don't know if you have any uh, words you want to say on on this heated discussion about the length of our podcast. Well, I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, I kind of forgot about that. Very long. I don't know how many pages it ended up being, but uh, <laughs> it was long. Just the interest and the feedback in general is always appreciated. Um, you know, when we started doing this, it was just Chris jumping in saying, Hey man, we don't get you enough on the podcast doing recruiting and recruiting is a very important aspect of the site. So we'll just do something. And I had been doing the recruiting rant, and that was a very concise way of doing a podcast. It was basically a Q&A, and I would edit and edit and edit and, and have to delete and go back and say, okay, how can I say this more precisely? How can I say this more concisely? How can I be uh, very insightful within a minute, a minute and a half? Because you're talking about every week we got at least 40 to 50 questions. Yep. And some of those overlap, but a lot of them, sometimes we get 70 questions and there'd be like 20 that would overlap, but that's still 50 something questions. And you're talking about getting it down to an hour. You're literally got about a minute per question. You know, you have to get it out. So that became a lot of work. That became difficult. It wasn't necessarily answering the questions. It was answering the questions in such a concise way where I felt like I was still being insightful. And that's the whole thing about this podcast. If we're not giving you information, and giving you some insight and some genuine analysis, then it's just us talking. And that's not, that's not valuable to our subscribers. It's not valuable to anybody. I, I did also pick up on that thread that potentially we need to start charging for this podcast. I, I saw that, uh, you know, that the podcasts that go for two hours are usually uh, 20 bucks a pop. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know if we need to uh, have a payment plan. Maybe we need to go to uh, OnlyFans and have a, uh, a cardinal tier and a gold tier <laughs> for a half I'm, an hour and an hour and two hours. Maybe, maybe, maybe we're onto something there. I don't know, but uh, nevertheless, um, we do appreciate the feedback, uh, of course. And I know timestamps would be uh, very valuable for people who want to jump around and and don't want to go through the whole podcast. And and also, you know, potentially, and I I, I offered this up to Ryan, maybe having something I would record that I could just give to them weekly for the Peristyle podcast that would be the filthy casual uh, sort of version of what's going on with recruiting this week, which would be more like 10, 15 minutes. Um, but again, I, I don't know how much insight you glean from the process when it's just, you know, talking about the stuff that you get on sports center, which obviously with recruiting, you don't get on sports center, but that sort of version of it relative to what we do here on this podcast. Look, I am all for putting this podcast and charging on only fans because OnlyFans, you could do literally anything. It's not just the wink, wink, XXX stuff. You can literally put whatever you want on OnlyFans. So if this is where OnlyFans leads us, a USC recruiting podcast, then so be it, Gerard. So be it. If they, if we want to charge for it, so be it. But right now, 
we're going to keep it open. We're going to keep it free. And we're going to keep it long. I like the long form view. But again, thank you so much to the passion that uh, you guys have for the Composite Two Star Recruits. Again, timestamps will be will be here. If this podcast does not have a timestamp, something went horribly wrong, and you have the right to uh, attack me. You have the right to attack me in the streets if because because I promised it, and I'm going to live up to it, Gerard. Now that was bike the of, what bike, bike racks. racks. What is bike racks? Oh man, Chris, you don't know the lore of the peristyle. Anytime there's a an issue and it gets to the point where it actually could become a real life uh, physical confrontation, um, it goes to the bike racks at USC. Which I don't even know if those bike racks are still there by the line center. But way back in the day, there was a couple posters that went back and forth, and one of them, I guess, was supposedly a student, and it was like, "Meet me at the bike rack." So oh. anybody who's been on the peristyle for a long time. Uh, remembers that uh, anytime you got a real issue and serious business here, you take it to the bike racks. I love that. Yes, that's a great that's a great alternative to what I just mumbled over. Meet me at the bike racks. If I don't have a time stamps up for this episode, you can meet me at the bike racks. I will be there, and you can uh, let me have it. Now that wasn't our cold open. Our cold open will be a potential commitment. Uh, but Gerard, you came in very hot. For this podcast, you had a lot of energy, and I'm going to need some of that energy because I literally woke up from a nap 15 minutes before uh, I jumped on the Skype call with you. Uh, it's been a long day, 8 a.m. practice, interviews, incident analysis. Uh, I came in for the Peristyle podcast, uploaded some videos. So I had to get a nap in somewhere before we went and did this podcast. So I am very tired. But Gerard, do you know who's not tired? <laughs> is this a sponsorship segue? I don't know. If you give me an answer, I might be able to help you out with that. <laughs> I don't, I really don't know where to go because there's a fork in the road here because I know what the cold open should be. But then I also know that we have a sponsorship shout out to give. So I don't know which way to go. Uh, you just got to tell me uh, who's not tired or you got to tell me uh, you just got to help me out here. <laughs> well, I know that there's an announcement coming from defensive lineman Sam Green. No, that's uh, not it. That's not okay. It. <laughs> so, see, I went down the wrong fork in the road. <laughs> I had it. I had it. So I'm just gonna throw it to you again, uh, Gerard. Do you know who's not tired? I don't know who's not tired. <laughs> well, I'll tell you who's not tired. Hurricane. That would be the official sponsor of the composite two star recruits, Mega Realtor Meredith Schlosser. That's right. The official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits is not tired, her and her team, because they work tirelessly for their clients to help them find the perfect home for them or the seller because they also do sales. As one of the top real estate agents in Los Angeles with over $600 million in sales and more than 200 five-star Zillow reviews, Meredith has not only represented uh, the filthy casuals of the world, but also uh, Jeannie Buss, the president of the Los Angeles Lakers. Justin Silverstein, head coach of the US, USC Women's Golf. But she also helps uh, recent graduates, first-time buyers, first-time sellers. She does it all. She doesn't just work with NBA royalty. Meredith is backed by a full-service team that allows her to service this wide range of clientele for rentals, sales, and purchases. Most recently, Meredith was recognized by Wall Street Journal within the top 1.5% of agents in the nation 
1.5% Girard. That's the tippy top of the pyramid. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And you can follow her on Instagram, on her work Instagram, Meredith, at Meredith Real Estate Agent. Sorry, at Meredith Real Estate. Sorry, I'm all tongue today. Thank you so much to Meredith Slosher and her uh, team for sponsoring us at the Composite Two Star Recruits. We look forward to working with her in the future. Now, Gerard, it's time for the cold open. You can now, tell how much we prepare for this podcast is I was completely blind going into I'm the sponsor we have. Uh, hopefully future sponsors. But yes, I like to do everything off the cuff sometimes. But let's get into the cold open. And let me just mark down what the timestamp is. So here we are. We have a incoming uh, potential commitment uh, for USC with unranked uh, St. Francis defensive lineman Sam Green in the 2023 class. He will be making a commitment on Thursday. He'll be doing it on ESPN. And he is down to a finalist list of Penn State, Texas A&M, and the Trojans. Pretty impressive list for a guy that is, you know, not ranked. He is still unranked, as I said. He's listed at about six foot two, two hundred sixty pounds. Plays for that uh, national powerhouse at a at a Baltimore and St. Francis Academy. Uh, this is an interesting one, Gerard. This was one of those late defensive line offers for the Trojans uh, on August twenty fifth, I believe, late late summer, as they're getting into things and they're kind of reevaluating that defensive line board. So here we are with a potential addition for USC 2023 class. They only have one defensive lineman on board in a three-star Bakersfield defensive end, Grant Bucky. So this is an interesting one. I think uh, the USC board is a little bit uh, intrigued by Sam Green. I think uh, a lot of people will be interested if he commits. You know, he is an unranked prospect. We haven't had a commitment from an unranked prospect in a minute Uh, But what is your take, Gerard, on Mr. Sam Green? Well, it's interesting. From St. Francis, not in Mountain View, uh, not in La Cunada. (laughs) So he is out there in Baltimore, the national uh, powerhouse, really, in terms of uh, recruiting and producing players, St. Francis. And he's bounced around a bit in Maryland to different schools, some smaller schools that he played at, which you might be a lot more familiar with than I, Chris, in terms of the level of competition he played against before arriving at St. Francis. But certainly, if you get to St. Francis and you start making plays, it's going to turn people's heads. So that's why you transfer to a bigger school like that. And certainly, that's what happened. Um, Because it seems through some of the scrimmages that he had uh, initially, that's when the scholarship offer started coming. It wasn't necessarily just right out of the bat, first four or five games of the season. It was a little bit before that. I I mean, you had a deluge of of scholarship offers there at the end of August. You had uh, Boston College. Texas A&M, Penn State, and USC was one of the last scholarship offers that he got. And so you're you're talking about the difference between having Texas A&M and USC coming after you at the end of August as opposed to back in April when Old Dominion and Townsend is offering you a scholarship. So certainly uh, the up in competition level and his performance at that level turned a lot of people's heads. Um, When you look at him on film, he's very explosive. He comes out of his stance. Uh, he's about 6'2", 260, so he's not necessarily a big 300-pound interior guy, but he's going to be an interior defensive lineman for sure. Um, unranked, I think a lot of that has to do with the schools that he played at 
and the fact that he was really not getting a lot of scholarship offers from bigger colleges. And now he is, you're going to see him probably end up a three-star. I think ESPN just recently ranked him a three-star. He's going to announce his uh, commitment on ESPN. They're going to have a game against Venice High School down in Florida. And so I think it's maybe at halftime, maybe after the game, maybe before the game. Uh, I'm not really sure exactly the exact time of the announcement, but he's going to announce his commitment at the game. And right now it looks like USC is in pretty good standing. It doesn't look like Texas A&M is ready to take his commitment, even though they offered him. I think they want to see their board shake out a little bit more. Um, Penn State is there. It kind of seems like it's USC and Penn State. I do know for a fact that USC likes him. USC just sent him some letters. I think it was a handwritten letter, both from Sean Nua, the defensive line coach, and uh, Lincoln Riley. So that yeah. kind of tells you that um, they're they're on him and they like him and they think a, a lot of him. Obviously, anytime you've got a three-star, uh, very low-rated player that a school is going after across the country, you know some some of the fans are going to say that's a reach. Like, why are you going all the way to Baltimore to get a kid that's not rated? Uh, we know with Colin Mobley, that was one of those questions to the Matha to recruit him. He hasn't played a whole lot for USC. Um, then you've got the other side of the fan base that says, man, look at his film. He's extremely quick. He's able to make a lot of plays away from his gap assignment. Um, he's explosive. He's the next, uh, you know, Aaron Darnold, right? You know, they just jumped to that conclusion. Of, you know, <laughs> they love showing Darnold. that screenshot. They love showing that screenshot of his yeah, uh, 247 and, profile, no picture, six foot two, 260. And... Um, you know, uh, th- there are some, I guess, uh, physical comparisons that you can make. And, and certainly if you're just making the argument, look, you don't need to be, you know, 6'5", 290 pounds, 300 pounds to be a successful defensive lineman uh, at the college level and the next level in the NFL. That's a vile argument. I, I think that there's uh, plenty of top defensive linemen that have been those type of players that have been very successful. Um, certainly the 6'4", 6'5", Three technique is sort of what you look for. But, you know, defenses are changing nowadays, and there's a lot of hybrid going on. Um, it was interesting. I had a conversation with Grant Bucky, who is USC's lone verbal commitment on the defensive line right now. And we talked about a myriad of different things, but we talked a little bit about him and what he's doing in high school right now. And he's playing in a, in a 3-4, and it's a very traditional 3-4s. He's head up, and he's playing in a four technique head up. And that's interesting because he's – playing a head-up technique, but he's not playing in a two-gap defense, which traditionally the 3-4 is a two-gap defense. So um, there's a lot of weird things going on these days with defenses and people trying different things and and um, being in different shades and what have you. So I think, you know, that's going to – it's going to cause a lot of different defensive coaches and coordinators to go after different types of bodies and to see what really works for them. And certainly quickness is something that Alex Grinch covets along the defensive line. You know, he's got a smaller defensive line even now when you look at like Dejon Benton, who actually started for USC against Rice, which surprised a lot of people. That's sort of the type of body type that he is. You know, Dejon is a little taller. He's about in the 6'3", or at least coming out of high school, he's listening to 6'4". He's probably closer to about 6'2 and a half, 6'3". And, and mm-hmm. 275 pounds, 280 pounds. He's not a 310 type guy that's a, a body catcher or, or a, a space eater on the defensive line. Now, is that the recipe for USC to have championship defense? I don't know. I mean, certainly it's not necessarily the formula that Alabama or Clemson, some of those other schools have used. So it's a different approach, but you would have to have a slightly different approach, I think, on the West Coast because you're not going to get a lot of those uh, big, you know, 6'5", 330-pound 
really good athletic nose guards. Uh, it's just those guys don't really grow on the West Coast like that. You're looking for more athletic types. But we did see with Pete Carroll that USC was able to recruit a lot of those guys that were defensive ends and then put them down in the interior. And you had guys like Sean Cody uh, and, um, you know, later on, which wasn't Pete Carroll's defense, but Monty Kiffin's defense, which is, you know, basically the same as Pete Carroll's. Uh, that's where Pete Carroll sort of got his inspiration for running his defense. They had Leonard Williams, who was, you know, 6'5", 265 coming out of high school. So, you know, they used those bigger, taller, athletic three techniques um, in that type of 4-3 defense, whereas now, you know, you have a lot more 3-4 hybrid defenses. So that's where Sam Green comes in. Um, again, you know, pretty explosive, gets off the ball well. There's some plays there where he's not blocked at all and just looks like he's playing against really poor competition. And then there's other plays where he gets off a block and he's able uh, to make a play, again, to get away from his gap assignment, which is what you like to see, you know, active defensive linemen who can be disruptive all over the field. You beat me to the Dejon Benton comparison. I think that's the easy one to make, and it's a guy you can look at right now and say, hey, look, this is kind of, I think, what they are looking at when they look at uh, Sam Green and kind of the future they want for him. Obviously, Dejon Benton a little banged up right now, but did win that starting job, uh, that defensive tackle spot in that front over some some other guys who thought we could be there, like Nick Figueroa. Uh, so, And you kind of harp back to what, Sean Newis said in the uh, in fall camp about Dejon Benton, how he's kind of the per, quote unquote perfect fit for what they want in the screen, this scheme, excuse me, that that athleticism, that quickness, because um, Dejon Benton, as we mentioned, you know, makes plays against the backfield, not the biggest guy, not the strongest guy, but he just has a knack for getting in the backfield, making plays, using that quickness to his advantage over maybe some bigger offensive linemen. And I think that's kind of what you see. When you watch Sam Green, I think Sam Green is a little bit more athletic, has a little bit more explosiveness, as you mentioned, has a really good get off. And, you know, I think he'd be uh, one of those project players to add that you can kind of build around. Now, you mentioned kind of, uh, you know, Colin Mobley and, and DeMatha and, you know, why would you go across the country? And I think as we've seen, USC has really kind of put this emphasis on recruiting uh, the DMB. And if you're you're listening, you're like, oh, my God, he's going to make another DMV reference. Of course I am. I think getting players like this is a good way to kind of keep that door open. You know, you know, getting Colin Mobley, you know, obviously he wasn't recruited by this staff, but the last staff. But he's still on the he's still on the roster. You know, he wasn't sort of a guy who was kind of pushed out. And I think they they sort of recognize that, you know, having a guy that comes from the Trinity League like Caleb Williams, Colin Mobley, it helps when you have those guys on the roster. There's always talent coming out of that league and it helps when you have a couple across the country on your roster you can look at them and be like hey these guys have made the transition these guys are doing well with us and i think the same goes for the for st francis you know there's a reason why nick saban in alabama always recruit the heck out of that school st francis they've picked up multiple guys there and they always seem to have one guy like every other class that comes out of st francis so I don't think this is a bad guy necessarily to obviously that can help you down the line with your defensive line, but also a guy that you kind of hold on to and put in your class. And you can kind of say down the road when St. Francis has that next big prospect, you can be like, hey, we, we got our foot in the door with Sam Green. Now we can go back and maybe go for the for a bigger fish down the line, whether that's a linebacker. Remember, Shane Lee came out of St. Francis. So they had lots of talent that comes out of there. And I think this is a nice little building block to that relationship you can build out there in Baltimore. Yeah. Although, 
I, to play devil's advocate, I think most Do of the it. guys Alabama's getting are four and five five star guys. Uh, certain Shane Lee was one of the top linebackers in the nation when Alabama went in there. This is a little bit more of a gamble because you're going after a kid that hasn't really been built up at St. Francis. You know, he just transferred in and you're going off of some early film of him against that competition level. So it is a little bit more of a reach from that standpoint, or at least a little more of a gamble. I think what you say is true. The caveat there is those guys have to perform at USC. And so, you know, Colin Mobley really hasn't done a whole lot. We don't know really what his position is on the depth chart in terms of how much the coaches like him and dislike him. I haven't really heard a whole lot about him mentioned. And obviously we don't get to see a lot in practices to really have our own evaluation of how he's doing. I mean, Earl Barquette is another guy that comes in, transfers from TCU, who on film looks really good to me. I mean, he looks like a guy that Alex Grinch likes to use all day long. We haven't seen anything from him, really haven't heard much from him. You know, even in the spring game, he wasn't used a whole lot. So there are definitely question marks in terms of how deep is the interior on the defensive line for USC? You know, do they have some guys there that they like, or are there some guys just collecting dust basically and are uh, sort of uh, dead weight on, on the, on the roster. And, and if it's, that's the case with a guy like Colin Mobley, then obviously he's going to transfer out. And then that works against you going back in to that area, trying to recruit because, you know, one of those guys didn't necessarily work out and, you know, that's um, always going to be used against you on the recruiting trail uh, negatively by other schools. So, you know, it, like I said, it's a gamble. Right. But it does help in terms of the Trinity League com- comparison that you have Caleb Williams as your starting quarterback. And a guy maybe if you win the Heisman with. And Shane Lee, who, and you Shane know, Lee. As, is, you know, contributing a lot for USC and going to be successful at USC from what we can see. So, no, you definitely, you have those two guys uh, as transfers. I mean, there's always that back and forth that you can argue in terms of, you know, defensive line is another one of those positions that you can get a plug-and-play guy pretty easily from the porthole in terms of somebody that if you get a good player, there's a good chance he's going to be able to contribute right away because defensive line is just not the most complicated position to be able to process. On the other hand, it's just like, you know, with offensive tackles, those guys go really quickly. I mean, they are like, you know, Elmo at Christmas, right? Like this, they're just like that gift at Christmas that just goes off the shelf immediately once they hit the porthole. Any type of good defensive lineman that has actually contributed, man, everybody and their brother is going after them. And that's been, unfortunately, the one thing that USC has not really been able to get any high-profile guys out of the porthole on the offense or defensive line. Uh, recently, and that would be the two positions where, because you don't have a lot of maybe immediate impact players on the West Coast, those sort of ready-made Ellis McCarthy's, those guys don't come around very often. Ellis McCarthy, former five-star from Monrovia, was 6'5", 315, coming out of high school, and just, I mean, he looked like that guy that you go down to Georgia for. Um, didn't end up actually being that guy, though. You know, he kind of ended up being a bit of a bust at UCLA. Uh, but it was certainly the dude that you, know, you look at profile-wise and watch him in high school, and he was very dominant in high school. He was a very good football player in high school. Those guys just don't come along very often on the West Coast. So you would think going into the portal, uh, getting transfers, that would be where you want to go, or even JUCO-wise. But JUCO-wise, that's a different story just because of grades and academics. And a lot of those top players uh, that are junior college are guys that didn't qualify to high school. So you have a lot of issues being able to get them qualified 
uh, going into USC. But when it comes to porthole guys, you've got guys that are actually in Division I colleges. Uh, the transcripts are easier to get. It's easier to review that stuff. It's easier to know who's going to be eligible, who's not going to be eligible. So from that standpoint, you would think you would be able to go and have uh, maybe more guys you could bring in that could compete right away. It's just the problem is there's not a quantity of those guys. The quality guys, there's not a whole lot of them. And like I said, they go really, really fast. Absolutely. So I think that's going to wrap up our talk about Sam Green. But again, he's going to be making his commitment on ESPN. They're playing a televised game. So I'm sure a lot of USC fans, a lot of Penn State fans, even some Texas A&M fans are going to be watching that one. We don't know when exactly he's going to make that commitment in, in the course of the game. I would assume it's like halftime, but we'll have to see maybe after the game. But I'm sure a lot of people are going to tune in. I'm going to tune in for that, obviously, because I want to see him kind of in action, see him play on this uh, big national stage and see what's what. But you can keep it here at USFootball.com for the coverage. And I'm sure we'll talk about him uh, next week in our composite two-star recruits, either as a one who got away or as the newest USC commit. So now let's kind of transition into Friday Night Lights talk, Gerard, because we had a... I would say another busy Friday. Uh, where would you like to start in our journey of uh, high school football talk? Well, we're up and down the coast this week. Right. We are in Northern California and we're in Southern California. So you and Shotgun were actually up north and you were able to see one of USC's offensive lineman recruits. He's old, he was rated at one point as a defensive lineman, but he has now been re-rated as an offensive lineman, Amos Talalele. And you got to see him up close for the first time. And we've been seeing his exploits during scrimmages and whatnot, where he's just ragdolling <laughs> the opponents. Looks yeah. like, he's, uh, you know, a man, a man amongst boys uh, playing against the competition level. What did you get to see of him and uh, kind of convey, I guess, a little bit from an evaluation standpoint and also just talking to him, you know, what you got from him? Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. I was super excited to go see the legend that is famous Amos. And he was definitely, when we were kind of deciding who to go see Amos or uh, Alani Noah up in Sacramento, I knew I wanted to jump on the Talalele train because I've seen all those clips on, uh, you know, his mom posts on social media and what he posts. And he, Gerard, you know how hard it is to kind of film uh, offensive linemen. There, there are times where it's, it's kind of boring you know, they, they kind of just stand, you know, sometimes, you know, blocking them a little bit, you know, pushing them a little bit. But when you get a guy who's just absolutely dominating in the trenches, that's so much fun to record. That's so much that's fun ISO to get. And I knew going into this that Talalele was going to show up and give me some great footage. And the big man did not disappoint and their 60 to 26 win over Del Delmar, who was Gerard, a very, very bad team and borderline looked like a JV squad. So obviously but, but, but we have to, we, we have to also interject here. Santa okay. Clara is not necessarily modern day centennial. Saint sure. John sure. So sometimes you get that really unbalanced matchup, but Amos Telelele is also playing on a team that, you know, he has to do a lot because right. they're not necessarily, uh, the, the best team in the world either. Right. I, I, I have to add that Santa Clara was not a strong team. They were 0-2 going to this game, so this is their first win of the season. But it should tell you a lot about how Del Mar was, the fact that uh, Santa Clara kind of uh, dog-walked them 60-26, to 26, 
and it should have been earlier, much earlier. It should have been done much earlier in this game. But once Talalele left the game, it was a little bit more of a competitive game. And that should tell you a lot. But Amos was just, he's obviously just the guy you look to when you look at the teams like, oh, that's a dude. Legit six foot five, maybe six foot four, but he just looks so much bigger compared to everybody else. 330 pounds. I contend, I saw someone comment like he needs to lose like 25 pounds of quote unquote bad weight. Gerard, I know you watched the video. I did not see any sort of identification of bad weight on this kid. It all looked super solid, super uh, just wasn't, you know, huffing and puffing or anything like that. He's just solidly built at six foot five, 330 pounds, a great fame. Probably not going to want to put more weight on him. You want to refine that a little bit, but he just looks so solid. Played uh, right tackle for them. Played a uh, nose tackle for them as well. And, you know, even played on special teams. Had a really nice punt block. But he is definitely an interior guy. You know, I was watching some of his, you know, you know, kick. What is it called? The kick? Kick, kick step. step back. Kick step. Yes. That, thank you. I was watching some of the kick step. You know, it wasn't, you know, as I would say as fluid or as natural as some other, you know, natural offensive tackles that I've seen and I've covered. Um, but you know, he wasn't really be, being tested in that regard, so he wasn't really having to kind of showcase an elite kick step. But I definitely – and I talked to him after the game, and I kind of asked, you know, is there a possibility you play, you know, tackle? He's like – he was pretty much shut that down. He was like, no, the plan is right guard, right guard, right guard. So he's definitely being uh, uh, pegged for an interior spot, specifically right guard because that's what he mentioned several times. But – he was just so fun to watch. You know, he was just bullying kids, which is obviously that's not a bullying is not a great thing to say in 2022. But on the football field, it still flies. And he was just knocking kids around, head hunting for kids. You know, he'd go to the second level, kind of look around for somebody to hit, which is something you always want to see. He was a you know, didn't rack up a lot of tackles as a defensive uh, uh, as a defensive tackle. By the second quarter, they were just going low on him, Gerard. You know, it's it's big man syndrome. The center was the tiniest center I've ever seen in my life at a high school game. So they were clearly just telling him to go low, go low, go low. He even got in trouble once because the kid went low, and he kind of, like, stepped over him, kind of stepped on him in the process. And they had their coaches yelling at him that they stepped on their player. I was, but I was like, Coach, your guy is going low every single play. That's not his fault. Um, he also has kind of that big man syndrome. You know, when you watch a kid who's clearly bigger than anybody else, he does that thing where when he's running around and he accidentally bumps into somebody, he puts his arms up because he doesn't <laughs> want to get that flag. I talked to his coach about this after he's like, yeah, the refs are just looking to kind of flag him because he's just so big and they think he's like out there trying to hurt people. He's not hurting people. He's just playing football hard, but he does like every time he would run into somebody on accident, not intentionally, he would have his arms up like, Hey, I'm just standing here. I'm just so big. So he kind of had that big man syndrome. He actually got a warning for running into the pile too hard when they were trying to push forward. He like knocked down the entire pile of like 10 kids. It was very funny, but he got penalized or not penalized a warning that take him off for a little bit. But, you know, just absolutely dominated showed showed some of his like, you know, a little bit of his athleticism with that pump block almost had two pump blocks in this one. He was about a fingernail away from getting another one. But I just had so much fun watching uh, famous Amos uh, put on a show for me out there Saturday night. 
uh, Gerard. It was so much fun. Yeah, I think, you know, the first thing that jumps out at you watching that film, it's really good to be able to see that because you don't get that on Huddle and you're certainly not going to get that from a nationally televised game. Just watching him in that sort of bubble and how active he is, even whether the ball is going his way or not, you know, probably one of the the bigger issues that you'd have to worry about him on the interiors is making sure he doesn't get too far downfield Mm -hmm. on, you know, screens or certain pass plays because, you know, he has a great punch off the line. So if he's just punching and he's moving down to that second tier, um, he gets down there pretty quick. Um, He's very sort of, uh, you know, short shuffled. But I think, again, you're moving him inside. He's going to play more in a phone booth. He's just going to be a menace. I think he's really yeah. big. I don't think you need to take a bunch of weight off of him. I, I mean, no. I, I don't like that sort of a Pac-12 thing where it's like, okay, we got to get everybody down to 275. It's like, listen, man, if you want to be able to play with the big boys, you got to have big boys. And, you know, you don't like, hear about Ohio State. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they recruit this guy and he's 320. And, oh, my gosh, let's get him down to 280. That's BS. You don't want to do that. And he'll get better weight on him but it'll be converted slowly and it's not one of those things that like you said he was very active running around all over the field didn't look tired didn't have his hands on his hips um he was ready to go for more and he's playing both sides of the ball which is also important because i think it's very easily to have a star player and go okay you know he's going to do this in college so we're just going to save him and give him reps at this particular position but he doesn't just do that you know he's playing all over the field he's making an impact and making a difference as much as he can for santa clara and they really need him to do that and so he takes that team and he really puts them almost quite literally on his shoulders. So uh, it was great film to watch. And it's, you know, just more of what we've already seen from him. But now that he's completely bought in to play an offensive line, I, mean, I think the sky's the limit in terms of his potential. And I will say Josh Henson was there. This is the first coach that I've seen, USC coach that I've seen at a uh, US, or high school, excuse me, a high school game. This season, Josh Henson, number one, he w- Josh Henson was very low key with his game. Gerard. He did not come on the field. He was up in the stands watching. And then he kind of hung out uh, by the uh, the team locker room at halftime just to kind of be visible when they walked out, kind of kind of make his name there. I heard uh, somebody on the bench. They were calling for for Amos. I was kind of talking to him a little bit. They, we, he had been pulled out at that point. I believe there's like two minutes left in the first half. And someone was yelling at him like, hey. Coach Henson, Coach Henson's here. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. So, you know, he just kind of stood by the locker room, get that visibility, and then he dipped out. So I thought that was interesting that he was really low-key, probably didn't want a bunch of people talking to him on the sideline there of the game. But, yeah, Coach Henson was definitely there, got to see at least half of the show uh, for them. And I did want to say, Gerard, we've all been part of these games where you're kind of looking and you're hoping you get that running clock in CIF. You know, that 45-point uh, lead in the fourth quarter. But once Amos went out, Santa Clara really had sh- trouble putting this one away and keeping Del Mar in it. And it was the slowest blowout I've ever covered in my life. I was getting so frustrated. I just want to put that on record. As, as <laughs> you, as somebody who has covered a, a lot of football games, and you would appreciate a running clock every now and then. Would you, would you say that? Oh, yes, for sure, for sure. Running clocks are great. Um, certainly it's interesting to hear that about Josh Henson though, because we know him to be Josh Henson, the man of the people, <laughs> the man of the people. He was, he's the man of the people at those camps. I mean, he was in the stands. He was Maybe that's why he was in the stands. stands. There's more people in the stands. There's more people. I we mean, he literally people. was, was, yeah. Talking to every parent that had a kid, I think at those camps and uh, even rising stars camp where you've got, 
you know, a, a lot of players that are not going to get scholarship offers or be recruited by USC. He was still out there talking to a lot of parents and, you know, kissing babies and shaking hands. So uh, it's interesting uh, being low key, but that's also interesting that they're out there during, you know, a game week. Uh, a lot of times those coaches Friday nights, they want to kind of focus in and they've got team meetings and stuff like that. So um, they're not real big on it, but we also had shotgun out there getting ready to drive out to Sacramento, but I guess that game got canceled. Yeah, there was poor air quality. Uh, so he got a text from the AD that the game was canceled. So, no, no, Alani, no, unfortunately. So that was a bummer. So we did not get the the future interior guard film for USC's, unfortunately. But I think Amos made up for enough for the film that he gave me. So you can go check that. That's up That's up right now at our YouTube channel, or it's on the, uh, the pair style as well. Uh, if you just search his page, you can find that too. But it's up on YouTube, our YouTube channel, Inside Troy. So that's what that is. Uh, that's a terrible transition. But Gerard... Why don't you talk about uh, where you went on Friday night? I went nowhere on Friday night. Never was, mind. Don't talk about where you didn't still, go. I was still going over all the film that we got from the modern day game and <laughs> interviews and everything else. And uh, also uh, coordinating our army of uh, reporters that are out on Friday nights. And uh, we had uh, Jarrett Perez, who is a, a show favorite. Uh, our intern, Jarrett, was out at the Santa Margarita Mullen game, which is uh, not too far from where he lives, he went up the Saddleback, and he checked out the Mosley brothers, the Brothers Mosley. Brothers Mosley. And Trent, who both have scholarship offers from USC. Emmett is a 2024 wide receiver at uh, Santa Margarita. He was originally at Servite and then transferred over to Santa Margarita. And his brother Trent is a receiver for Santa Margarita, and he's a freshman, and he just got a scholarship offer from USC uh, just a few weeks ago. So we're able to get some ISO film of that. That's going to go up on the uh, the site very shortly. and. Um, you know, from Jared, it was it was a decent game. Interesting angle with USC and Emmett Mosley is that they're recruiting him as a defensive back. And he's not playing defensive back at all this year, or he hasn't thus far. He's really not known uh, for being a defensive back. That's not really the position that, you know, he sort of built his reputation on. Everybody, most schools, I think, are recruiting him as a wide receiver. So sort of an interesting, different evaluation from USC to recruit him as a defensive back. And we're talking about a Notre Dame legacy as well. So Emmett and Trent, both their mom and dad went to Notre Dame. I believe uh, their mom played soccer at Notre Dame and their dad, uh, I think played football at Notre Dame. So that's going to be tough to overcome. In addition right. to the fact that you're the only school recruiting him as a defensive back. And I, I mean, right now he's only playing wide receiver. He didn't really say whether he liked, uh, defensive back or wide receiver more. Um, now, I will say that, you know, potentially defensive back might be a better position for him ceiling wise. You know, when you're talking about speed, you're talking about how big he gets. I mean, he is 2024, so he's got a little bit ways to go. Uh, but we saw him a little bit during the offseason. And I mean, it's intriguing. I, I, I think that uh, it would be unwise to just dismiss that evaluation. But certainly, you know, against Notre Dame, USC is going to have a lot on their plate to be able to recruit him. Uh, we also saw Collins Akimpong, who is the player that came over from not the math or not Maranatha, but uh, what was that school he came from? He came from like a real small private school where he yeah. never really played football. Transferred over to Santa Margarita. Wasn't supposed to play, but he is playing after all this season and actually looked pretty good. Uh, according to Jarrett, Jarrett was uh, saying that, you know what, he, he kind of looked like a dude out there and uh, was, was pretty impressed with him uh, as a player. And we're going to follow up a little more and probably 
uh, reach out to him and see, you know, if USC is still kicking the tires on that one. You know, quite frankly, USC really wasn't recruiting him very hard. I know he came down for an unofficial visit during the spring, and we really just didn't hear much of USC, you know, with communication with him after that point. And certainly with USC, you had Walker Lyons who was being recruited, uh, and you still got Deuce Robinson, who USC looks like they have a lead for. Um, you have to think of uh, uh, Nick Harbor as a potential uh, mm-hmm. tight end down down the way. So uh, the tight end position, they do have some other options. But um, Collins Akeempong is a guy that I think, um, you know, very raw, very raw, hasn't played a lot of football. But certainly, you know, at his size, he's like 6'6", 240, 250. He definitely has the size uh, to look like a guy that could be a good player at the next level. And another player that um, not really on the radar for a lot of schools, but uh, Ethan Thomas, a 6'5", 295-pound sophomore offensive tackle for Santa Margarita, uh, was a guy that kind of grabbed Jarrett's uh, eye a little bit uh, when he was out there filming uh, Emmett Mosley and Trent Mosley. So uh, a younger offensive lineman uh, from Santa Margarita. Santa Margarita usually has some pretty good offensive linemen. It's a matter of, you know, how much do they develop from that sophomore point to being seniors. Um, But, uh, you know, the late Max Turk was one of the best players that uh, USC has, has gotten on the offensive line in a long time and played at Santa Margarita. So that's, um, you know, kind of the the gist from Santa Margarita. They're going to play Los Al this coming week, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit, but that'll be a big-time game for them. Um, and then you also had uh, Sarah, which, you know, you've seen a lot of Sarah this year, uh, but uh, an interesting game where they were playing against uh, Nico Ayamayeva, the Tennessee five-star quarterback commit, um, 16-13, uh, Sarah ends up beating Warren and our boy, Roger Pleasant, fastest man in the country, has two fourth quarter interceptions off of Nico Aymaeva. So not a game that we covered, but still worth mentioning because uh, USC is still in it, still recruiting uh, Roger Pleasant really hard. You know, he's still one of their top uh, quarterback uh, targets that USC has been after for you know really past two years, really before even this new staff came. USC was recruiting Roderick Pleasant pretty hard, but certainly he's uh, looking at USC a lot harder now than he was. I think uh, Roderick also had a 88 punt return, 88 yard punt return. Nine, yeah, 90 game. yards, I think. Yeah, so he give him that extra big, two yards, Roy. Give him that extra two yards. He was big time against Warren, and uh, Warren not looking so great right now. Uh, you know, we were thinking Nico Maile was going to play at Long Beach Poly this year, and then ended up staying at Warren. So uh, hasn't been a, a real good year for them. Uh, Corona Centennial blows out. Jay Sarah, 41-0 after getting blown out by modern day the week before. Um, Husky, Husky offensive line is looking pretty good. You know, Caden McKee, uh, Brent Helton, and, and Wade Helton, the twins, the underclassmen, they're guys that we're going to have to look at in 2024. I thought they played particularly well against modern day, even though they, they kind of just got dominated by modern day, you know. But it wasn't one of those things where I think um, this, the score was a little closer than maybe it, it, it suggested in that game. Uh, but um, Centennial has some guys and, and that's a, a pretty good win for them. You know, blowing out a, a Trinity league team, you know, it's always some, a little fat hat, a uh, little feather in your cap uh, when you're able to do that. And then uh, Los Alamitos blew out survive, which we expected 47, uh, 14, uh, an easy game for them. Still no TA Cunningham, the five-star uh, junior transfer from Georgia. Uh, probably not going to see him this week either. Maybe the following week we'll see him. Um, usually those uh, hardships, it's a five-game sit-out, so we'll see that unless CIF is making some type of rule where they're just going to have to sit out the whole year, which I don't think so, but um, he wasn't playing in this game. Orange uh, beat La Habra 24-12, which is a good win for them. Uh, Jet White had his first interception of the year, 
uh, the 2025 cornerback that's committed to USC already. And uh, USC running back commits had a big week, Chris. The big boys, actually not big boys, but the guys running behind the big boys. You know, well, one of them is a thick boy. Thick boy for sure. He's built like a pineapple grenade. That's a what? Oh, a like a, like those are like the, the the classic grenades with the little yeah, like, the old F1 dimpling or whatever. <laughs> okay, okay, I got you. Uh, Quentin Joyner, big big night with 191 yards. Not quite Roderick Robinson level of going bananas, <laughs> but 191 yards, three scores on uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight carries. Gerard, eight carries. That is a massive night for the USC running back commit. And then Amarion Peterson, 178 yards and three scores on 11 carries. So six touchdowns between them on 19 touches. That's insane, Gerard. That's a beautiful thing. I mean, hey, listen, USC, and, and we'll probably talk about that when we talk about the Stanford game, but using those two back sets, having two senior running backs, I mean, you look over at Texas and you're like, okay, that's the future right there for USC. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I mean, you've got Amari Peterson, who's a good six one, uh, 200 plus pounds. You know, he's he's the bigger back of the two and he's having a really good year and kind of an off the radar guy because he plays at a smaller school. But Quinn Joyner is a guy that's pretty much been on the radar. And, you yeah. know, I think we were asked a question a few weeks ago about, you know, what prospects in the committed class would you worry about the most decommitting? And it would be probably those two running back prospects. You know, you've got Ruben Owens, the five-star number one running back in the country that's committed to Louisville. A lot of people think he's not going to stay committed to Louisville. But if that sort of doesn't work and those Texas schools see that he's not going anywhere, you do wonder if they pivot and they start looking inward. And uh, Quentin Joyner certainly would be high on that list. You know, he's a guy that's having a really good year. And uh, Manor's having a pretty good year just overall. And, um, you know, both of those running backs, you can see where they would fit for USC. You know, you can see where they both have physicality, uh, much like the running backs that they have now. Um, They've got decent size, not huge size. Neither of them are really necessarily burners. Um, You've got Willie Brown there, and he's going to be there for the future, and he'll be that guy for the future. Uh, you would like to see potentially maybe USC take a gander at the uh, portal uh, at the end of the year because you never know. You could get a real quality back out of the portal seeing that you're going to have two seniors leaving. Um, that's going to open up the door for potentially a guy that's a plug-and-play guy that they can get. So you don't necessarily uh, think that uh, you know two is the tops for USC, and that's what's going to make, I think, the numbers trying to project so hard because it really sort of depends. Like, okay, do you take a guy out of high school – at the end of the year when you're just looking for best player available or with that window opening up, do you start to look at potential transfers and running back is a definitely a position where you can just grab a guy who's a really good player. I mean, you think about some of the guys that came out uh, just this past year in the portal, not just the guys at USC got, but some of the other guys, you got some five-star level players that you can plug right into your program. And if USC keeps playing offensively, like they're playing, all of those top players are going to want to look at this offense. Yeah. And that's, Again, something we can get into when we talk about that Stanford game. Can I just get your quick reaction to Roderick Robinson's night? He well, we, is it- we, we might need to have a little bit of Roderick Robertson lore uh, in the podcast because it seems like it's very, very thick in the peristyle. He is uh, the champion of the peristyle. He's become <laughs> uh, one of those players that uh, they just, you know, the numbers, the stats, they're just too much for these uh, the posters to – to, to fathom, you know, they had USC has to get Roger Robinson under all circumstances 
They have to get him. Um, personally, I think he would have to be some somewhat of an H-back for USC. I don't think he fits with what they want and what they're looking at. Um, we did see him against Alemany, which is one of the better teams that Lincoln's played against. And they're not really great this year either. And they shut him down completely. So you do have to take into context the competition level and sort of some of these games that he's had in the teams that he's playing against. So I'm not necessarily on the train of, uh, especially with what USC has committed now, they need to get Roger Robinson. They need to get Roger Robinson. I think he's a decent player for sure, but I don't know that with USC, they wouldn't look at him more as a potential fullback, which is a position that they have in this offense. I mean, you have like McCree kind of playing that position right now, but at Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley tend to use a guy that was a little, little smaller, a little more bulky, a little more of a run threat at that position. Yeah. And I just want to say, but you you do mention, you know, level of competition, but 30, 32 carries, 476 yards and eight touchdowns. It's just ridiculous. However, you want to cut it up, though, Gerard. That's just ridiculous. That's preposterous. Um, and I just want to say Collins old school was actually Fairmont prep. Just a little like update for you. You don't care. I don't care. I was just reading it. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't care. An announcement from modern day that was saying that uh, they're not going to play the Bosco game at SoFi. So, uh, interesting. They want to maintain their home field advantage at the Santa Ana Bowl. Boo. I say boo. I mean, we wouldn't have probably covered that game, right? We don't like covering those big mega games. Well, I don't. don't. Famously, Gerard doesn't. Yeah, I mean, if they're on TV and everybody and their brothers at them, it kind of is a little bit redundant. You know, you're going to be able to watch the game on TV. But, um, you know, I'm sure Jarrett would love to be there. Jarrett's a, Jarrett's a guy that, listen, you know, if you're not a five-star, he's not interested. Right. <laughs> That's why I was I was searching if the Mosley brothers were, were five-stars. Like, why is Jarrett talking to them? Why did you send him to a game where it doesn't matter? I think, he, I, think only really because... want, I think he really went down there to see Collins a King Kong. I think he really that that was the end goal. I think he sees some some future potential there, and um, that was his his uh, his reason for going to that. And he lives pretty close to Saddleback. Fair enough. Uh, that is going to wrap up Friday Night Lights. Gerard, is there anything else you want to touch on with Friday Night Lights before we move on to our next topic? Anything? Nope. No. Nope. He nope. is good to go. We actually have a. New 2023 offer to talk about that is four-star safety Isaac Smith out of Fulton, Mississippi, uh, six foot, 200 pounds, a consensus four-star prospect. He is the number 172 overall player in the 24-7 sports composite. He is the number 11 safety in the 24-7 sports composite, number three recruit out of Mississippi. He is not in the top 247 in the 24-7 sports rankings, but he's the number 23 safety overall. Has an impressive uh, offer list, about 20, close to 25 offers. He's got Texas A&M, Mississippi State, Florida, Florida State, Georgia, Michigan, Michigan State, Notre Dame, Ole Miss, Oregon, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and, of course, now USC. So an impressive list of Power 5 offers. His dad played linebacker at Ole Miss in the mid-1990s. They have the crystal ball lead at 75% of just two predictions, but... This feels like another one of those uh, Mississippi off- Mississippi offers that, like uh, Kalen Bryant, right? That's the name, defensive lineman? Yep. Kalen yep. Bryant, yep. Uh, tag Dave Emmerich, uh, one of the new football operations athletic director guys that came from Mississippi State. So it sounds like uh, Dave Emmerich, you know, had some intel on Isaac Smith, you know, from his days 
of living down there and covering uh, or not covering, but uh, working with that staff and recruiting the the area. So he's probably very familiar with Isaac Smith. So went ahead and told, hey, guys, I know this guy, Isaac Smith down there. I think we should offer him. So feels like one of those offers. So an interesting offer, you know, knowing that USC does have a very good uh, defensive backboard still up there. You know, they did just lose Braxton Myers. So this is an interesting offer to come uh, out there on the heels of that. But Gerard, what is your take on Mr. Isaac Smith? Yeah, not that there should have been any confusion because I think we were pretty clear about it. But yeah, the talk that uh, Braxton Myers decommit because USC was recruiting Jason Mitchell, uh, who may reclassify out of the 2024 class to 2003 class. This kind of, um, <laughs> if, if, if you were confused still or didn't believe us, this kind of verifies that, you know, USC still moving in a different direction for 2023 when it comes to safeties. And Isaac Smith, interestingly, ranked one spot higher uh, than Braxton Myers in the composite rankings uh, for 24-7 sports. Definitely a safety. I, I think with Braxton Myers, the interesting thing is he was playing cornerback in high school and most projected him to play safety, whereas Isaac Smith is a straight-up safety. Right? He's playing safety single high most of the time uh, at the high school level and comes down real hard, You know, makes a lot of very physical tackles near the line of scrimmage, make, making some pretty big hits, uh, but he's a safety through and through. And so this is a move in that direction to just get another safety on the board and perhaps a player that doesn't necessarily overlap as much with War Warburson, the uh, six foot, two hundred pound safety uh, slash receiver out of uh, Red Oak, Texas. Uh, he's a four star. He's a guy that does a lot of things that Braxton Myers does, and was really recruited very similarly to Braxton Myers in terms of Dante Williams' recruiting pitch and his vision for him fitting into the Trojans' defense. Warren Roberson. And Braxton Myers, there was just a lot there that it seemed like they were basically getting the same recruiting pitch, which I thought was interesting coming away from the uh, the golden hour recruiting weekend that USC had. Um, I just talked it up to, you know, hey, listen, USC's looking for that body type. They're looking for versatility with their safeties in their corners. And so they're going to have a bunch of guys that are in that six foot six one range, 200 pounds that can kind of do a little bit of both. But here, I think USC kind of moving while profile-wise, sort of similar in, in, in height and weight, not necessarily very similar in terms of the production that they have at the high school level. Like I said before, Isaac, completely a safety, play safety. That's just what he does at the high school level. Whereas you've got a Rowan Roberson who plays both sides of the ball, you know, can do a little corner, um, probably more of a safety, uh, but certainly a guy that uh, I think versatility is why you recruit him. And that's a guy that, again, you know, a lot of people just kind of want to write him off, say, oh, he's a solid uh, lock for USC. He's a silent commitment. You know, TCU has been trying with him. He just got that offer from Texas. Um, I, I think USC is still in a good place for him until I hear otherwise. But I'm not necessarily closing the door and uh, just saying, you know, when he commits, not rather if he commits. Because I think that USC does have some competition there uh, for Warren Roberson. And, and, again, this might also be a safety uh, offer here that is has that in mind. Um, and, and I'm not saying that I'm not saying that, you know, Warren Roberson is completely out of the picture for USC or, you know, get the, the, the ledge uh, walkers that we have on the pair. They're already, they're already walking to the edge. They're, they're, already, back. they're already there, back. you know, already kicking pigeons off the ledge. But I, I think that, you know, you do have to always sort of uh, develop those options and have some guys that you like, you know, on that subject, I think it's kind of interesting to interject we talked about Warren Roberson is a guy that 
is a potential safety commit down the line for USC. I've heard lately that uh, Denton, Texas five-star Peyton Bowen is maybe picking up the phone for USC again. I've heard uh, some chatter that maybe USC might be trying to get back into that one for uh, the Notre Dame commitment. Uh, obviously, Notre Dame not starting the season off very well. Um, I don't necessarily know that there's anything incoming um, you know, in the next week or so. But Drop a little scoop here, Gerard. Yeah, scoop. it's just been, there's been some chatter, you know, a little bit of uh, that Keon Keeley chatter that we were hearing. Uh, not quite as loud, but um, that, that could potentially be a guy. Again, when we talk about uh, visits during the season and as USC progresses during the season, if they continue to impress, they continue to win games, there's going to be some prospects that are committed to other schools that might be picking up the phone and making some calls. And so I, I've seen that in the Pete Carroll era, and uh, I, I don't doubt that if USC can, can build that type of momentum on the field, we would see that again with Lincoln Riley. And I'm just surprised you're dropping some scoop here, Gerard. I know this is a free podcast, as has been pointed out by the Peristyle, which may not be free in the future. That could always be subject to change. The filthy casuals are not are going they're to like pleased. that. They're not pleased with that that <laughs> uh, that potential change. Uh, speaking of uh, Notre Dame commits, there was another offer to a junior Notre Dame commit in Brandon Davis Swain a four-star defensive lineman out of West Bloomfield, 6'4", 240 pounds, number 169 in the 24-7 sports rankings, number 76, top 100 in the 24-7 sports composite. So that was a new defensive line offer that went out in the 2024 cycle. As we know, 2023 defensive line recruiting is very important. 2024 defensive line recruiting is also going to be very, very vital uh, for the Trojans. So interesting. They're kind of looking at some uh, Notre Dame commits. This isn't the first time they've offered a Notre Dame commit, uh, but this was an interesting one and just one to kind of keep in the back pocket. He's only a, obviously a junior, so long time uh, for this before this guy really gets you know going on the radar for other schools. Uh, but it's a, it's an interesting offer that goes out uh, in the Midwest for the Trojans and Sean Nua. Yeah, not uh, really timed for the vultures to start circling Notre Dame. I think mm-hmm. it's a bit early. Sure. To do that, um, sure. certainly that loss against Marshall was uh, was embarrassing. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. They, they haven't started the season off well, but I don't know if it's uh, really time for that yet. But you definitely do kind of see that in uh, football recruiting, and USC has been the victim of that uh, more often than not over the past three years. Absolutely, USC gets vulture was getting vultured all the time uh, over the several seasons, and USC fans probably shuddering at the thought of it. Of all the ones that got away, uh, I won't name any. Bryce Young. I won't Bryce name Young. any. I won't name any. Okay, Williams. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Okay. I think that's a good time. A lot of these guys, a lot of these fans are probably still shaking cold sweat after we name those two guys. But let's you might take need a, to get a, a beverage, a, a, a nice, straight, hard beverage. Nice, straight, hard beverage. But when we come back, we're going to be talking about some good news. That is uh, USC's win over Stanford. We're going to get Gerard's take on that game and kind of the recruiting angle uh, looking at it after that win. So, Gerard, does that sound good? Unless there's anything else you want to talk about before we go into this break. No, that sounds muy bien. Okay. Well, we will be right back after this quick break.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hurricane. Troy Annenberg. Whichever identity you're going through right now, how was the break? (laughs) It was wonderful. Uh, The hurricane is ready to blow down some trees. So let's talk about USC versus Stanford. Yeah, so what was your kind of big takeaway? Where do you want to kind of start with this game? Well, I mean, we can talk about uh, Grant Bucky because we sure. mentioned him earlier, the uh, 6'5", 265 defensive tackle, defensive end out of Bakersfield, who's – Yes, Stanford legacy, yes. Stanford, Stanford legacy. legacy. Brother plays at Stanford. So he's actually been to Stanford the past two weeks. This week is going to be the first week he's actually able to make an unofficial visit down to USC to watch them play. Uh, and uh, it's interesting, you know, he, he sat with the Stanford crowd and Stanford fans. <laughs> and, sat in the uh, parent section, sat in the parent section. Not the recruit section, just want to clarify that. Yeah, he couldn't uh, wear any SE gear. He was trying to be very respectful, and, you know, he said, yeah, I couldn't really cheer too much, but uh, inside <laughs> I was cheering for the Trojans and uh, was really excited about watching the defense and seeing how they played, and um, really uh, it, it just, you know, he is one of those guys that bought in early on to what Lincoln Riley was selling with USC. And it was, uh, you know, interesting thinking about him in, in football. And he comes from a football family. Like you said, dad played at Stanford, um, brother playing at Stanford. But he admitted he's not a huge football watcher, or at least wasn't. He says, now I, I definitely watch more football. Now I'm watching USC. He says, you know, when I first got my scholarship from Michigan, I did pick up on Michigan a little bit more. But he says, you know, for the longest time, it was really hard for me to sit down and just watch a college football game all the way through. And I, and I thought that was really interesting because, you know, he comes from an actual football family where a lot of kids don't. And they're really legitimately just looking at box scores. They don't even remember, you know, who did what and who scored what. They just know wins and losses for the most part. And that sort of opened us up to an interesting conversation that was happening on the pair style about David Bailey, the former linebacker recruit out of modern day last year, high four-star recruit. One of the few players that was highly rated that was still considering USC despite Clay Helton getting fired. And he made a couple unofficial visits to USC. He made one unofficial visit for that Stanford game where Stanford blew USC out 42-28. And I talked to David Bailey numerous times during the recruiting process. And, you know, some fans were asking about him. And I think, you know, deep down, the real motive behind this discussion is, 
You know, is David Bailey going to jump in the porthole now and go to USC? That's that's really that's really yeah. You know, just looking through the uh, the thinly veiled the comments about him and being recruited by USC, I think ultimately that's what Trojan fans uh, want to hear and would like to talk about. Uh, which I have no information and no thoughts on him um, transferring uh, to USC. Uh, you know, he picked Stanford, and and one of the things that I pointed out, just speaking to him and other sources, was you know he wasn't a big football fan before being recruited. And when I say not a big football fan, I mean, he didn't watch football at all. And in fact, he was very surprised that USC even fired Clay Helton. Not that they were, he was surprised that they would fire him from a performance standpoint, but surprised that college universities could actually fire their head coaches. So he was Stunned by that. He thought that that it, they were like professors and teachers and they didn't get fired that way. <laughs> so it anybody was, can be fired. It was interesting because I had a conversation with him. And at that point, Clay Helton had been fired, but he went on to talk about, well, the rest of the staff is there and I have a good relationship with Todd Orlando and a good relationship with uh, with, you know, Armand Hawkins and Gavin Morris. And I, you know, stopped to myself thinking, well, I mean, are they telling him that the whole staff is going to still be there? And so I mentioned this conversation to Greg Biggins and, and Greg and I were talking about it because Greg had just talked to David Bailey as well. And I said, yeah, I said, I don't know if this is just what USC is telling him or just what he thinks, but he thinks the whole staff is going to stay there and they're just going to replace the head coach. And Greg goes, dude, I talked to him and he was stunned that they fired Clay Helton. I said, no, no, no. Yeah, I know. He, he said that too to me that he, he did. He was just that out of the loop in terms of how college football works, you know, from being a, a big business standpoint, you know, he really just didn't have any idea of it. And, and really all he knew of USC was what he saw from USC last year, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I'm sure he's seen some USC games and, 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 and talked about USC football maybe here and there, but really if you're a recruit and you've made the determination, listen, I'm going to stay on the West coast, I'm not going far away from home. I'm going to look at two schools, maybe three schools. And Stanford and USC were there from the start. UCLA was kind of there. I think he did take an unofficial visit to UCLA during the season. But it was really USC and Stanford for the, the bulk of his recruitment. And Clay Helton gets fired. and You've got an interim staff there, and they're kind of recruiting him. But he clearly has a better relationship with Stanford. You know, everybody's like, well, he went to Stanford because of the academics. I never got that sense. I think the academics, quite frankly, and I, I think he might have basically said this to me, quote unquote, are kind of a wash. Um, now, I know a lot of people are going to say, well, that's not true. Look at the numbers. Look at the degree, blah, blah, blah. And I have some statistics to throw out there. But you're talking about a 17-year-old kid, and you're talking about a family who's trying to make a decision, and they're looking at the business school. And USC does have a very good business school. And so I never got the impression that this was like, well, I'm going to Stanford because I can't turn down the degree. It was, I want to win championships like I do at modern day. Now, the peristyle is like, well, wait, 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 hold on a second. Stanford and USC at this point is what you're looking at. You want to win championships? Well, listen, Stanford and USC are what he was comfortable with. He wasn't going to go to Alabama. He wasn't going to go to Ohio State. He didn't visit those schools. He really didn't have interest in going away from home. So you're picking the school that can win a championship out of two schools. And if you go and all you know about football is what you just saw at the Coliseum during a boat race, where Stanford absolutely embarrasses USC in their Pac-12 opener, you're thinking Stanford's probably got the better shot of winning a, a, at least a conference championship. 
you know, where I can actually right. have football and I can have academics. So that was, you know, the gist of what I got from David Bailey's recruitment. And, and you know, he ended up committing to Stanford I think at midnight. It's very strange, you know, but again, this whole recruiting process and, you know, T Mac, T McMillan, you know, tutorial McMillan was very similar to this as well. Another guy that was not a big college football fan that didn't have a lot of uh, reverence for USC from a tradition standpoint. It was sort of what you see is what you get as a senior recruit. And you're basing that decision just on what you're seeing. And if you're basing your decisions off of that, then you don't know USC as a dormant college football power. You know them as a doormat college football team and sort of not being able to be relevant at that point, whether it's winning championships or developing players for the NFL. So a guy like Grant Bucky, you know, even though he didn't really watch a whole lot of football, he still had his dad and he still had his brother and he still had a family that could say, listen, you know, USC, man, Pete Carroll, like when USC's rolling, they're really, really rolling. So we talked a, a little bit about that as well, but it's always interesting talking to recruits and how different their perspective is. And, and we did get into this in this, some detail and, and the story will go up uh, hopefully this week uh, where we talked about just, you know, what recruits are able to really glean off the recruiting process what these teams are doing and what these programs are about on the field, as opposed to the fan who's on the message boards every day and they're reading the stat lines and they know the depth charts. And, you know, Graham was just like, you know, we just don't have time for that as recruits. You know, a lot of times you're just trying to catch the highlights of what happened. You're going to talk to the coach during the week. He's going to say a little bit about the game, but they're not going to get into a lot of detail about that stuff. You're going to have to go research that stuff yourself in terms of what the rotation looked like. I mean, even watching the game, I asked him, are you, were you specifically watching the D-line? He said, yeah, sometimes, but mostly I'm following the football because <laughs> that's what's entertaining. I'm watching the football. I'm not just watching Thule. I'm not just watching Nick Figueroa. I did see those guys. I did, you know, watch them. But, you know, a lot of times you just sort of get distracted by what's happening, uh, where the football's going. And so, Again, there's just such a big gap between what the fans' perspective of recruiting is and, and these schools in that from that prism and what the recruits' perspective is uh, under those same contexts. It's just very different. Absolutely. And I will note, I don't want to add more to the David Bailey uh, people talking about transfer portal. I don't want to add to that. I'm just observing that Gavin Morris – and some of his modern-day teammates, uh, Kyron Ware Hudson, they were uh, joking with him after the game. Gavin was, you know, had his arm around him. They were kind of just laughing and having a – I guess they were, like, joking with him a little bit. But I just want to say you – in recruiting, you always want to keep those relationships tight and open. Obviously, Gavin had a good relationship with him and a lot of those, obviously, SoCal kids. So it's just, you know, kind of coming back and just saying, hey, what's up? You know, kind of keeping the love there because – you do never know who's going to enter the portal or whatever. And I do realize saying that probably opens up a lot of people saying, oh, no, he's definitely coming. No, I'm just saying that I just witnessed a little of that that relationship that was that was built during the recruiting process still strong after, you know, uh, Saturday's game, which I guarantee you, David Bailey would never bet that <laughs> USC would have blown out Stanford. At Stanford, uh, in a similar fashion that Stanford blew them out just a year ago with basically the same team. I mean, it's definitely a bit of a bizarro sort of scenario where, you know, the shoe is on the, on the other foot. How the turntables, as they say, <laughs> Gerard, how the turntables. But as you said, pretty much identical. 
to last season. 41-28, it was 42-28 12 months ago. But there was a lot of positive recruiting that you could take away, positive recruiting angles, excuse me. As just a reminder, Gerard has that great recruiting angle story that he posts uh, pretty much every Sunday after the game, after a result, and kind of looks at you know the what he what we saw on the field how that kind of translates to recruiting and you know there were still some negatives there's always going to be negatives but there's a lot of positives and Gerard I was obviously I have your notifications see you tweeting about the game and I know you were kind of uh, impressed once again by how uh, USC was spreading the ball around yeah for sure and and with the offensive transfers that they have those guys are getting showcased and mm-hmm. that's something that you have to really underline because we are in the era of the transfer portal and we don't know if it's going to be as big in the future we we don't think it's going to be because I think you know building a team with a culture you do want to build that when those players are younger and you have to get those guys out of high school to do that at the same time the amount of success that we've seen with Lincoln Riley thus far being able to plug and play these players I mean we saw it in the spring game it, it, you know, it's, it's very few penalties, no turnovers. It just was so different than what we'd seen under Clay Helton in terms of, you know, the delay game penalties and uniform issues and too many players on the field, not enough players on the field. Uh, should I call a timeout needlessly in the middle of the game and waste it? And then the game turns out to be a close game and you needed that timeout. There's so many issues that happen from a management standpoint, from a personnel standpoint, even before you get to the game. And you're not seeing those things. And more importantly, you're not seeing those things with a bunch of new players playing together. I mean, you could argue that, okay, that's understandable if you have some delayed games, if you have, you know, more uh, holding penalties or offside penalties or, or, you know, maybe two men in motion. Something happening during the game which kills drives because you just have guys on the different pages. But what we've seen is USC put in all these transfers and we've seen them play really, really well, whether it be Travis Dye having a 100-yard game against uh, Stanford or Jordan Addison having a huge game, you know, really looking like he was doing it effortlessly. Um, all these different players contributing uh, and, and playing at a very high level for USC right now. Obviously, Caleb Williams, which is a little different. you got to put an asterisk next to that because he, he knows the system and he was with right. Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. But with all these other players, um, you know, Bobby Haskins even getting in there and playing as well as he's playing. Uh, there's been just so many players on the offensive side of the ball specifically that um, that is going to be something that when we look at the portal and you have to make those decisions, do you go after this high school uh, versus, you know, getting a guy that, you know, is, 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 is play college football and been a, an all conference level player that you can bring in your system and plug him in and, and boom, you just, you don't miss a beat. So that's going to be the interesting thing going forward uh, for these coaches and, and the, uh, the, the personnel directors, how do we build the roster going forward because going into that porthole for some of these players is going to be very, very tempting. One guy I just wanted to kind of harp on and kind of hit on out of the portal, uh, Solomon Bird, had a really nice game on Saturday, really stepped up. Obviously, Romello Height left the game with that shoulder injury, kind of looked like it popped out at some point during the game on the sideline, was done, pads off, sling in the arm, uh, and it sounds like they're they're going to rest him this week, hopefully, you know, maybe the shoulder gets healthy, let it heal a little bit, but have to see there. But number 51, the Wyoming transfer, former freshman All-American Solomon Bird, who came into USC with 
close to a dozen sacks in his career, so he had some pass rush ability. Kind of showed off, kind of showcased, kind of showed out um, on Saturday and picking up those extra reps when Height left the game. Uh, definitely got the lion's share of those reps uh, over Corey Foreman, it seemed. And, you know, he produced. He got two sacks, including the, the nail in the coffin at the end. Uh, Gerard, what was kind of your impression of number 51, uh, Mr. Bird? Yeah, I thought he played well. I think, um, you know, you've got to have depth. And I think if there's one position where USC's got a little bit of depth, it's at the edges because you've got Nick Figueroa there. And that's a guy that a lot of people overlook but has been a productive player for yeah. USC in his yeah. career, um, almost surprisingly so, coming out of the junior college ranks. And so you bring in Bird and you already had Romello Height and everybody you know, loves the way Romello Height looks. But in terms of production, I mean, that's kind of been his M.O. Can he stay healthy? And right now with that shoulder – he might need surgery on it. So he may be a guy that, you know, we really don't see a whole lot this year. And obviously people want to see Corey Foreman step up. That's a recruiting sort of impact player right there, because we've talked about it before. If he can't produce and he can't be that guy and he ends up transferring out USC, it, it does hurt USC a little bit. You know, it, it's one of those things that will be used against them on the recruiting trail. Having said that, I feel like Corey Foreman's flashing, man. I think he's there. He, he's sort of flashing on some plays. It's just a matter of not following through and being a guy that's making the actual tackle. You know, he uses right. his speed. He gets an edge on the offensive tackle. He, he seems to be there on pass situations, but just doesn't seem to have the bend or the instinct sometimes to be able to actually complete the play and make the tackle. So still got to see him evolve. And, and, you know, he is a true sophomore, so I don't think people need to get carried away yet on, you know, how much he's doing or not doing. Um, but I think, you know, Bird definitely getting in there, a little bigger body, in fact. Uh, and against Stanford, I think that's definitely a, a, an important factor, maybe not as important against other programs where Corey Foreman will be um, athletically. He's a little better, so he might be a better matchup for other teams. But, you know, when we talk about Sullivan Bird and he had uh, a pass deflection in, in, in addition to those two sacks is the turnover margin and the fact that the defense has been very disruptive, even though it hasn't necessarily been a defense that has been good in total defense um, yards. You know, they give up 400 yards to Stanford in a, in a very balanced way. <laughs> they give up 220 yards, I think through the air and, a, and, and almost as much on the ground. Um, you know, there was, there was still some good things from it and it's, it's forced turnovers versus um, takeaways that are more giveaways. Uh, and, and meaning against rice, they had some uh, takeaways that weren't really takeaways. They were more giveaways by rice. They were, you know, bad passes and things, uh, that ended up being deflected passes that were turned for touchdowns. Um, they did have one of those, I think, to open up the game, to be fair. I think that was an overthrown ball uh, by McKee over the middle, and it gets deflected twice, and then Max Williams is able to bring it back. So I think you have to look at that and say, well, that's more on the offense. That's a bad play by the offense more than it is a great play by the defense. It's a good play by the defense. It's a good play to have that awareness and make sure that uh, you know your defensive backs had their head in a swivel and they make that play. But Comparing that to Max Williams' fumble, uh, force fumble that he had on the goal line, different. That's a great different. play. That's a great. That's play. a great play. That's defense playing defense, and that's more of what we've seen from USC, quite frankly, uh, with some of these plays. Tuli, um, Tuli Pelotu running downfield, running to the sideline, making a hit on uh, on um, uh, Emmett Smith's Smith. son. I can forget. EJ Smith. What's his EJ? EJ. EJ. EJ Smith. Um, and, and knocking that ball out and being able to recover that 
that's another effort play. That's another defensive play. I mean, they forced that fumble. So forced turnovers, people are saying, well, they can't maintain uh, this turnover margin that they have. Those forced turnovers are a little different, and, and you might be surprised at what they're able to do uh, by the end of the year in terms of, of having a high turnover margin because they are they are being disruptive. You know, they are slowing flashes. They are getting in the offensive backfield. Uh, certainly that slow mesh read was something that confused them a bit, and they had to adjust to that. Uh, but nevertheless, they still came up big, and I think they played really good against those big boy formations that they didn't really play well against Rice uh, down at the goal line. Uh, you know, Rice actually ran off tackle against them, ran some eye formation under center, and USC just didn't get off blocks, and they were getting reach blocked a lot. And in this game, not so much. You know, they still have some issues on the left side, it seems. Uh, but nevertheless, against Stanford, they play pretty well defense in the red zone. And, you know, when it comes to recruiting, those turnovers, first and foremost, they're going to be highlights, and they're going to be things that kids see, and they're going to love that. You know, they're going to love seeing, you know, Shane Lee with interception returns for touchdowns, uh, with uh, Max Williams for interceptions, and and those type of big hits. And so it's certainly a much more flashing uh, disruptive defense than we've seen from USC for the past few years. So I, it's just a matter of them dialing in and being probably more consistent, particularly even with the pass game and third down, because they did put Stanford in some third downs and it was just like, man, they played this sort of, sort of soft zone, which man, it's like they could stop Stanford sometimes with those yeah. passes and they were just wide open. So there's got to be some things in terms of dialing in and, you know, Fresno State's going to be one of the better offenses I think that they play this year. So this is going to be a real test for them. It's a, a, a very balanced offense, uh, but not to underestimate just from the offensive side of the ball. Stanford is a very good offense. I think that Tanner McKee is a very, very good quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. Um, you've got a ton of experience coming back with that team. And so, you know, that's a good team offensively, not necessarily a very good team defensively. You're going to see a more balanced team coming into the Coliseum with Fresno State. So it will be, I think, more of a challenge as a team to be able to beat Fresno State than the last two teams that they played. And I guess maybe one of our last points for this segment, uh, I know tight end use was on the recruiting negative for last week for that Rice game. But do you see any sort of, are you encouraged by, you know, Lake McCree getting a touchdown and some more targets in the pass game for those, for that position? Yeah, because it's probably going to have to come at some point. You know, they're going to yeah. try to do uh, as much as they can opposing defenses, that is, to be able to bracket or take away Jordan Addison or just sit in the zone. There's going to be something that somebody figures out and says, hey, listen, this is how we have to play against these guys um, to frustrate them as much as possible. And I did think that there were some opportunities there for USC to really step on Stanford's throat. And Caleb Williams, probably not going to be a popular opinion. I felt like Caleb Williams sort of reined it in a bit. There were some plays there, him running the ball, him scrambling, where he just held the ball too long. He kind of – I don't know if it was just a lack of respect for Stanford's defense at that point, but they got a little lackadaisical, and I think that also, you know, allowed Stanford to get the ball back and, and be able to feel like they had some amount of momentum. Um, but particularly with the tight end position, there's going to be maybe some more trust with Lake McCree going forward, and we saw him creep up into the lineup last year and have some some games where he was like, okay, all right, there's some good contested catches at the tight end position. He's playing that halfback sort of position now. So that's a new position for him. Um, and obviously, you know, offensively, it's it's a new offense for him as well. But I think there could be a little more trust in that. Um, Jude Wolf, you know, we're going to see him hopefully at some point in the next few games um, coming back from an injury. 
Uh, Malcolm Epps is the guy that, you know, the legend of Malcolm Epps uh, is still kind of a myth a little bit because we just haven't seen him from a production standpoint. The last staff raved and raved about him, played him over Michael Trigg, played him over Jude Wolf, and didn't think that was the wisest idea. And now, you know, he's out there now and he hasn't really, he got, I think, one target and one catch. Um, haven't seen him really being able to separate or do anything. Uh, but, you know, you never know. It could be later down the line in the red zone. Again, it could be just one of those things where it's a package and they see a team that from a matchup standpoint, they can really use the tight end. I, I mean, the tight end position against Stanford is going to be tough to utilize because Stanford themselves utilize the tight end so well. And this is something that goes into my whole rant about running the football. Um, what you see in practice, it's going to mold your team. And so if you're going to see runs in practice uh, from your scout team, um, or your first team defense, it's going to prepare you as a defense to be able to play against a run game, a, a downhill run game specifically. And I think with tight ends in Stanford, you know, that defense, they see a lot of tight ends. You know, they see three tight end formations all the time. They're used to guarding the tight end. They're used to guarding, you know, misdirection and things. I mean, tight ends, Stanford ran an end around with the tight end and got 50 yards on it, for crying out loud. So they used the tight end a lot. Their yeah. defense was going to be ready for the tight end. So for Lake McCree to get off there and get that nice touchdown open up the game, I think that was really nice. There might be some teams down the line that don't use the tight end as much where you can actually have some packages there uh, where your two tight ends end up being you know really big, whether it be in the red zone or just getting first downs. I'm definitely really interested to see what it looks like once Jude Wolf comes back, maybe around that after that Utah game, maybe going into that Utah game, really, really interested to see how they kind of use uh, that position when he comes back, if he kind of unseats uh, Malcolm Epps, or they try to use uh, Wolf over Lake, but maybe Lake is playing really, really well at that point. It's going to be interesting to see what happens when they get another body like that in there uh, with a healthy Wolf. Uh, Gerard, anything else you want to touch on here before we jump into some college football on the national level and, and kind of how that plays into recruiting? No, I mean, obviously, USC moving up in the polls into rank number seventh now. Um, it was an interesting week of college football. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just want to go point blank. Who had the worst loss, Notre Dame or Texas A&M? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I think probably Notre Dame. Uh, I think oh, Appalachian okay. State is a decent team. I think Appalachian State is a decent team. Uh, you know, they were there toe-to-toe -to -toe with North Carolina the week before. Uh, they're known as a giant killer. Um, I don't think Texas A&M is really actually that good. <laughs> oh. They're ranked sixth. They've got talent. They don't have a very good quarterback. They were yeah. ranked sixth. Yeah, they were ranked sixth. Um, I think there's, you know, some reason to believe that they're not necessarily that team. They've got talent, but are they a really good team that can, that can, that can be consistent? You know, we didn't see that from them last year. They beat Alabama, but they ended up winning, I think seven games. So, um, yeah, I think Notre Dame losing to Marshall was a bit of a bigger upset uh, for me, even though Notre Dame, obviously, they're 0-2 in the season, but they played Ohio State well. They were beating Ohio State at the half. Uh, they're still a pretty good defensive team. They can't um, score, Gerard. They can't score. They can't score. And that's, uh, again, one of those things where Tommy Reese, uh, a, a very young offensive coordinator, coaching under a coach that's more of an offensive coach under Brian Kelly. Now Brian Kelly's gone. So all of that is on Tommy Reese's plate now. Um, you've got a young head coach who's a, a very coveted defensive coordinator when he left Cincinnati, um, but was coaching under Luke Fickle, who is a defensive coach at Cincinnati. And we've seen Cincinnati's defense has not missed a step, missed a beat since he's left. So 
You know, I saw some comparisons on uh, the pair style. Uh, they were citing a thread on the Four Horsemen, which is the uh, the message board for our Notre Dame site uh, for 24-7 sports. And uh, they do a great job over there. And, um, you know, Notre Dame fans are obviously uh, not happy with what's going on. And there was some talk of Clay Helton comparisons, which, again, I, I think it's very hard for any school or any scenario to be compared to what USC did in promoting Clay Helton. Um, Marcus Freeman was a coveted coordinator. He was a guy that LSU was trying to get away. Um, there was many schools that were trying to get Marcus Freeman away from Cincinnati. And Clay Elton was not that guy. Clay Elton was not a coveted offensive coordinator at some other school that USC hired uh, at any point. He was a quarterback coach that had been uh, an offensive coordinator at Memphis and then fired at Memphis and then was ready to go to be an offensive coordinator at Arkansas State before he ended up being the quarterback coach hired by Lane Kiffin. And then he was just promoted up at USC. So, um, yeah, I still can't compare Marcus Freeman uh, or the decision to hire him in the same context as the decision of Pat Hayden to promote Clay Helton as the head coach after they fired Steve Sarkeesian. He simply cannot do it. But, hey, Clay Helton beat Nebraska this week, Troy. Did you watch that game? Yeah. Yeah, another uh, coach got fired uh, from uh, the Clay Helton. Um, <laughs> the Fighting Clay Heltons got another coach a big old payday in Scott Frost, fifteen million dollars. Gerard, you could fire me for fifteen million dollars, Gerard. I have no ego. Branson, that's a very controversial thing, just because they didn't wait until October, and supposedly it was going to be seven million dollars less. They got that if, Big Ten uh, money, Gerard. They got the Big Ten money. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, you know. It reminds me of uh, USC firing Lane Kiffin on the tarmac and not just waiting until Sunday and avoiding all the press and controversy and the Bush League look that that was to fire him that way. It looked emotional. It looked like a knee-jerk reaction. Um, I don't think you want to see that from your administration. You just want to see people go through the process of hiring and firing methodically and thoughtfully. And when you do things like that, it it does not give you uh, that impression of the way the administration operates. Gerard, we got a question in that specifically relates to Notre Dame and AM kind of losing this week with recruiting. So I kind of moved it up to here. Uh, so this one comes in from Mike. Um, with certain teams struggling during the season like Notre Dame and AM, potentially Louisville, even though they won last week, does a USC staff, excuse me, how does a USC staff approach recruiting players in their class? Plus, how do coaches and recruiting staffs at schools like SC, manage the actual playing season, preparing for games while also recruiting three, four, five-star players, which seems very time and energy intensive. Now, for, as far as the last point, Gerard has mentioned how Pete Carroll did not like kind of worrying about that and kind of diverting energy to recruiting uh, going into game days. But I will say, and I think we've mentioned this before, that it does help that USC now has a much bigger recruiting support staff that can help you know put everything in place and so it's much easier for the coaches to kind of just show up shake some hands do a little recruiting and then kind of focus on the game it helps when you have you know people like Andy Hansen kind of taking all that on their shoulders and not having to kind of bug coaches and admin people about it and they can kind of do their thing and kind of put it all in place for the coaches to kind of succeed and worry about the game and kind of do only a little bit of their attention for recruiting. Yeah, well said. And I think going to the first part of the question, how do you go about recruiting these kids that are committed to other schools? You, you just you just call them and you DM them <laughs> and see if you get any feedback. 
You know, sometimes it's a high school coach or somebody connected to their recruitment that reaches out to another school and says, hey, listen, man, my boy here, yeah, he's not feeling this school so much anymore. Are you still interested in maybe bringing him on a visit? And I think, again, if USC has the kind of success that Lincoln Riley hopes to have this season, you're going to have some of that. You're going to have some guys that are committed to other schools all of a sudden popping up on campus. May not be a lot during the season. You know, we really don't know right now what USC's approach is going to be to having a bunch of official visits during the season. It doesn't seem like they're going to have a bunch. It seems like if they're going to have any, they're probably going to be pushed back to the end of the year. And again, I think with staffs, they do like to focus more on the football aspect of things. Uh, but as Chris alluded to, you have a much more filled out, qualified support staff to be able to handle the families and everything else going on. Back in Pete Carroll's day, I mean, you you didn't have that. You had like a handful of guys that were football operation guys, and nobody was really centered specifically on recruiting. So everybody had to kind of stop what they were doing and be able to host and make sure that people got to their uh, their their hotels properly, they got back to campus properly, uh, the itinerary, everybody was getting to where they need to get to. Um, now you've got Andy Hansen and you've got that recruiting staff there. Uh, that They can take care of a lot of that, a lot of the legwork of the tours and all that kind of stuff being set up. Um, that doesn't have to lie at the coach's um, feet. And so, you know, there there is that aspect of, hey, you know, you want to have that one-on-one -on -one time with the coaches. You, know, you have to kind of figure out, okay, can you get enough of that on the Sunday um, after the game uh, or uh, Sunday night because you're not going to get a whole lot of that probably um, the Friday night and the Saturday morning lead up to the game. So it also depends, I think, somewhat on the time of the game. You know, later games, sometimes USC would sneak a guy in when they had earlier games because they would have that whole Saturday and Sunday that they'd be able to entertain them as opposed to um, really looking forward to game all Saturday in the Saturday afternoon. And then you have a game at night. So that whole day is kind of wasted on game preparation and you can't necessarily include the players a whole lot into that. So that also dictates whether you're going to bring in a bunch of kids in that weekend. Gerard, I think we've reached the time to talk about, where we're going to be this coming weekend for another edition of Friday Night Lights. I can only say what's happening this weekend. I can never predict where I'm going to be because That's I fair. am That's a hurricane. Fair. And a hurricane, you <laughs> only have a forecast of a certain length of coastline that it may or may not hit. Well, what, what do we have on tap for potential uh, locations for uh, this week? Since we are... I can't believe can't believe I just bought into the hurricane nickname. You did. That. You bought into your own meat. I love it. Silly, stupid analogy. You bought it. I love it. Everyone record this. Record that part. I might use it as a soundbite in the future. Well, there's only three games that really stand out this week in terms okay. of uh, okay. matchups uh, with multiple recruits. I mean, we've got Hawaii that is invading Southern California uh, with Mililani and Kahuku High Schools coming to take on Trinity League powers, modern day and St. John Bosco. So you're going to have a back-to-back -back, uh, week there. I think it's going to be uh, modern day and Milani are going to be playing mm -hmm. Friday at St. John Bosco. And then uh, St. John Bosco is actually going to be hosting Kahuku Saturday. And so that's going to be uh, a big matchup uh, for the white teams. Um, I wouldn't bet on them winning those games. But uh, that's uh, going to be a big matchup down at St. John Bosco. And then you've got, like we said earlier, uh, in the podcast, Los Alamitos is going to be playing Santa Margarita at Vet Stadium. And uh, we'll see if uh, Chris Trevino makes that game or he goes some other day. He's in the hub 
of uh, USC target territory. So he could go to any uh, number of games. Um, but um, I'm sure we'll be covering probably both, uh, if uh, not all of those games. Yeah, I'm probably leaning towards going to see Modern Day playing at St. John Bosco Stadium against Mililani. And I just want to add that Mililani High School and their team was actually at USC today. They took in the morning practice about, oh, their full team. You know, it looked like around maybe 60 to 70 kids, uh, including not not including kind of the staff and coaches that were there. So they don't really – I know people are going to ask, well, do they have any targets? Not really. Their their best player is a three-star athlete, a 2023, 6'2", 190. Gavin Hunter, he is an Arizona commit number 75 athlete in the 24 7 sports rankings number 10805 excuse me number 805 overall 24 7 sports composite he was he's the biggest name on there they didn't really have any guys that you look at and be like oh that's a dude uh they had one big kind of lineman guy not sure if he's offensive or defensive line but he was hurt uh but if he was like a sophomore yeah i would say probably offer that guy so we'll see in the next couple of hours i guess if they they offer anyone out of that that visit but yeah gavin hunter's kind of the biggest name out there had some of the staff talk to the guys after practice mainly sean nua uh dave emmerich also spoke so you know their first big uh recruiting uh visits they really had during fall camp uh that i've seen during the season so i'm sure there'll be other kids on campus at some point but this is the first big one and yeah have you covered either of those hawaiian schools chart Kahuku. Yeah, I've seen Kahuku play in person okay. before. Okay. And uh, okay. they have uh, Leona Lafu, uh, who is the safety slash linebacker uh, that USC was recruiting who committed to Texas. Uh, but they stopped recruiting him at some point, probably like April, and committed to Texas. And in hindsight, we see that Tackett Curtis pretty much took that spot. And USC oh, was yeah. confident enough that they were going to get Tackett Curtis that they ended up basically cooling on uh, Lifa, which, um, you know, that's, uh, that's a pretty good read for uh, Brian Odom and uh, the USC defensive staff. And who knows? Maybe Kahuku is at practice tomorrow, or maybe they're stopped by on Thursday. Who knows? So we'll see if they uh, – Well, they I mean, I'll tell you what. Arriving uh, Monday, Tuesday for a Friday game is pretty nice. That is pretty nice. Get adjusted. Enjoy the week. Uh, so, yeah, not a bad – What's that? I said you don't even see that at the college level. <laughs> yeah, take the, take the time. I know that's a pretty expensive trip. If you're staying out here for the whole week, but hey, I guess that's what that's what happens. That's what happens. Uh, Gerard, we've reached the point of our show where it's time for some listener questions, and we don't have a ton, but we have some. So, are you ready to jump into those? I am. All right, uh, D from the Central Valley. Are you? I'm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm. Oh, thank you. That reminds me you to. You have your phone ready, and then I hear a big pause when I ask if you are. Yes, I am ready. Uh, that reminds me, again, if you want to ask us a question and get your question answered on our podcast, you can email us at podcast at com. Just make sure you put the composite, cilantro boys, menudo boys, uh, the Latino guys, whatever, Chris and Gerard, Hurricane, whatever you want, just to identify so it goes to us. That is podcast at com. Send us a question. Now, back to the questions. Uh, D from the Central Valley. If D ever does not ask us two questions, I know it's a fraud. I know it's a fraud. Uh, got another two-question email from him and a request. 
so question number one, you guys gave a prediction on the amount of commitments before September. How about an overall prediction on the amount of total commitments for this year? I know it's complicated due to the new rules. And the second question, what is going what is going what is it going to take to change the Ohio State momentum on the recruitment of Mateo? Does USC have a better than 50% chance? Gerard, which one would you like to tackle first? Well, let's go with last question first. Um, okay. Mateo Ungulale and his recruitment. And, um, you know, what would it take? I think USC just has to do what they can control, and that's win football games. Yeah. You know, yeah. first and foremost, I think win football games, I think that helps you no matter what. Um, is there a better than 50 chance that they can turn that recruitment? Because at this point, I do feel like, Projection-wise, uh, it's Ohio State and maybe even Oregon or another school in USC sort of like floating around third or at least I think coming into the season. That was the feel, uh, right. talking to various different sources. So is there better than the 50% chance? Yeah, because I think there's better than the 50% chance that USC can win nine or ten games. Um, but I think it's still going to take something like that potentially where you – can really project his position and, and what he can do uh, within the defense. And then there's some other aspects of, of obviously NIL and things like that, that other schools are going to offer. And you have to, uh, you have to challenge that and be competitive in that arena nowadays too. Uh, but uh, yes, yeah, certainly I, I think that um, USC is still uh, battling to get back into uh, the lead conversation with Mateo and Galilei. I think a big part of helping them would be get him on campus for an unofficial visit. Obviously, it will not be this week as Bosco is playing on Saturday, same time as the Fresno State game. But if you can get him back in two weeks, you know, for the Arizona State game, you know, especially if you come off that Oregon State road trip, that big road trip with a win, you know, that would build up some momentum. Get him on campus for an unofficial visit. I think that would be the biggest kind of start to, you know, Getting back to cutting into that Ohio State momentum. Just get him on campus. That that's a big one. Uh, and as far as the he's been he's been on campus he's been on campus a lot though. I mean, it's not yeah. one of those things like he's been completely MIA, um, and it still seems like it hasn't necessarily moved the needle as much. And 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 certainly when you go by the actions speak louder than words, and he's on campus a lot. I mean, that is what sort of led us to believe that. In you know sources more on USC side of things, being very very confident that USC was really the lead school for him, you know, going into the summer. And then it was really coming out after that official visit, getting into August and, you know, some really good sources there saying John Bosco saying, no, you know what? He really likes Ohio state. And, and, and for whatever reason, whether it's just, you know, getting away from college, I mean, there might be some just inherent things into his recruitment, which USC can't help. Again, you can control winning and losing football games and, and showing player development. Um, but there's other things that, you know, um, you're just going to have to be able to sort of negotiate around. They might just be uh, obstacles in his recruitment. Um, but, you know, I go back to DJ's recruitment. His brother, he wanted to get out of California. That was a that was a, a very pronounced thing that we all sort of knew uh, with his recruitment. And that hasn't been really a theme so much with Mateo. Um, so I don't know that that's an obstacle necessarily. Uh, it just kind of seems like. I don't, you know what, to be honest with you, I don't know if I can totally put my finger on exactly on what it is. I, I don't know if it is USC just hasn't been very good and he's just looking at face value at schools like Ohio State 
um, that have been very good. And Alabama's another school. There's a few other schools there that he's visited. Uh, Oregon has been uh, certainly a lot better than USC in terms of, you know, their bowl uh, performances, uh, you know, minus maybe last year. But I've never thought that Mateo is super football guy either. So that's what kind of a little confusing about it. Like, you know, he certainly has a lot more going for him off the field with his music career and what he wants to study with music. And that lines up well for USC. So there's a little bit of, uh, you know, not really sure uh, what's what's going on. Stop looking at it logically, Gerard. Stop looking at it logically. That's our number one thing. thing Don't do that. I know, I know. But the one thing we do know is that USC hasn't been very good at football the past few years. So that's one thing they can control. That's one thing they can improve. And so I think that's really what you got to focus on. And you know what? Things will fall into place. It will work itself out if you're winning football game. Well said. Well said. Uh, and as far as the first one, another prediction, Gerard? Another prediction on commitments? Well, we we split down the middle. Um, we definitely <laughs> did. We so absolutely did. We split down the middle. Um, I, you know, it is hard to, to really know. Um, and, you know, if you're introducing – potential transfers into the quote unquote signing class. Um, you could definitely see a full class. I, I think you could see probably 26, but I don't I was, know because it, thinking it, that, yeah. we have to, we, we have to, we have to figure out whether a guy like Austin Jones, who I believe still has a COVID year uh, can come back. You know, does he split carries with Travis die and decide, you know what? I could be the guy next year. So I'm going to come back or, does he leave? And all of a sudden you're looking, okay, you know, we might be able to sneak a third transfer. Even difficult for the coaching staff to know at December, at least, you know, who's really seriously thinking about going from these transfers and who might want to stick around another year, especially if you win. You know, that's the thing. If you are winning games and they feel like, you know what, we got to the Rose Bowl this year. Okay. And let's just say USC is able to get the Rose Bowl and they win the Rose Bowl. These guys are coming back to win the national, the national championship the following year. You've got Caleb Williams coming back. Um, you know, you're going to lose Jordan Addison. You're going to lose guys like that, of course, that have big years. But a guy like Austin uh, Jones, um, you know, some of these other players that, you know, might might still have another year in them uh, to uh, to be able to show out and to be able to kind of secure a spot now that they know the offense completely, they might stick around a little bit. So you have to really project what kind of numbers you have uh, with 85, because that's what you're looking at. It's no longer an issue of, you know, how many guys do you have signed early, et cetera, et cetera, because you're only getting 25 a class. Uh, nowadays, it's going to be 82, period. So whatever uh, you can get to get under 82 is going to be, um, you know, what you bring in. And and a lot of this is all going to have to do with transfers. And so um, I don't know, man. I, I, I think full class is, is definitely uh, in their sights. Um, but um do we get up to like, you know, the 30 range? I don't know. I, I think that would have to be, uh, you'd have to see a lot of these transfers be one and done. Right. I was thinking like 26, 27. That was kind of my, my initial thought. That was kind of my initial thought. So I don't know if I want to put that down as my official prediction. Uh, I think maybe we'll, we'll, a couple more games, maybe the bye week, maybe someone come back, comes back and asks, asks us again about a prediction. Maybe we'll have a clearer picture, but I don't want to go on an official record with an official class prediction. Uh, and D yeah, also and look, at, look at Romello height. Look at Romello height. Yeah. There's another example of a guy that could, he might just need to get that shoulder surgery and be out. So he's coming back next year. Whereas if he has a big year this year, you know, he's a guy that a lot of people probably would have wrote off and said, yeah, he's, he's going to try to go to the league. 
um, next year, you know, and, and, you know, USC, you do see guys that jump sometimes where you go, oh, they shouldn't jump. But that's particularly true when they feel like they'd rather try to be undrafted free agents that get developed in the league, potentially catch on in a practice squad than sit around and get developed by Clay Helton. So that's different now. Um, and, and being a good recruiting staff, all any talent, you know, your recruiting staff has to do a good job retaining talent on the roster. And, and we've seen that with schools like Alabama and Clemson, uh, where um, transfer-wise, you don't have a bunch of guys leaving. And NIL, NIL can also help because these kids are able to make a little money before uh, having to go to the NFL. So it's not, you know, hey, I've got to, you know, feed. I, I've got a kid now and, and, and a girlfriend, and I, I got to jump because I, I'm not making any money and I, I got to do this can't live on, on, on campus anymore in a dorm. Well, now if you've got, um, you know, a deal, a branding deal or something of that nature, and you're making, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars, if not, you know, maybe a million or two as a, as a star player, eh, you can start to look at that draft status a little harder and say, am I really going to be a first round pick? Am I really going to be a second round pick? If you're going to be a third round, fourth round pick, now you got to start thinking because that, that bonus money that you get as a rookie starts to go down significantly. And that is, going to be your guaranteed money everything else is well you'll pick it up on your next um your next deal your next contract which is going to be you know three years into the nfl so um all that stuff plays i mean there's we're again we've said this before but it needs to be reiterated every podcast we are in such a fluid situation right now with nil and collectives and how that not only impacts the recruiting process but it impacts the rosters of these football teams and uh, retention is going to be a big aspect of that. I mean, we're talking about um, the Student Body Right Collective, which is going to be in 2023. That's solely looking at, focused on retention within the roster and getting guys that are on the roster deals. And so that's not really a, a recruiting um, nugget so much uh, to, to dangle out there for recruits. Although, it, and sure, it d- does help. You know, if you've got happy players, it's certainly going to help you know, on those official visits when they're having hosts and they're hanging out and the recruits are going, Hey, you know, how's it being at USC? And they're like, well, yeah, it's great. You know, I'm making, you know, a solid $600,000 a year and I'm, you know, the backup running back or whatever the heck it is um, that helps. But, you know, directly it's all about just retention and making sure the players that are actually on the roster are happy. And those guys that can step up uh, when the guys do leave the NFL can fill those voids and they're going to be financially compensated. So, you're not going to have issues with transfers. You're not maybe going to have as many issues with guys uh, like Elijah, Elijah Griffin, who, who just jump and you're just like, nah, man, nah, you need that extra year. That would really help you to have an extra year. Uh, those type of guys may stick around in the future. Uh, for sure. He also, D, had a comment uh, for you, GM. One of the coolest things on USCFootball.com is your target list. I know you are a busy man. Uh, the P members and I would appreciate it if you posted an updated target list. Yes, calling you I, out, Gerard. Calling you I, out. No, well, I apologize. It's one hundred percent. I've been looking at it, and it's just been like Staring you know, it's been like uh, falling off a wave at Mavericks, man. And you're just like every wave just keeps coming and keeps coming, and you're trying to get air, and it's like ah, uh, we just had a lot of content, a lot of stuff to do. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the issue, like all, all summer long. You know, we had uh, June, which were all of the the visits that we had. And so that's the priority making sure we're on top of uh, those visitor updates. And then July, it became, you know, we're all going to commit in July. And, and, and July is the only time that we potentially get a break. You know, you get a, a few days here, a few days off. 
um, and then August hits you and you're you're in fall camp. So <laughs> it's we're we're trying to trying to get those updated, man. They definitely need to be updated for sure. And um, I'm gonna try to get on that ASAP. There you go. Uh, FMLA transplant in Diego asks the main surprise I had from the depth chart was Eric Gentry at Mike and Shane Lee at Will. Do you feel that the coaching felt they needed the coaching staff felt they needed to put EG in the lineup in the, the I assume in the lineup at Mike because he's really good as a okay let me start over do you feel that the coaching staff <laughs> felt they needed to put EG in the lineup because he's really good and as a result felt he was less exposed at the Mike position than the will position the will position because of his size huh love the content keep it rolling thank you FM uh and well prepared well prepared folks we we go all over we go over this for hours and hours before we actually go on air <laughs> that's part of the show gerard it's just off the cuff in the moment like real life i don't want this thing polished i want it raw with some scuffs and some dirt on it that's how i like the podcast so <laughs> i was actually a little bit surprised that gentry was at the mic just because i think we all had assumed that lee would be the mic and uh gentry would kind of be at the will Gerard, did you have any kind of gut reaction to this? I don't know. I, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure what's what there. To be honest with sure. you, I don't know if, sure. the, if 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 Gentry's actually is the mic uh, on every down. Um, if there's not just some movement there, and I'm sure there's a lot of movement. Yeah, kind it's of just it's flopping. just nomenclature. You know, just for the sake of nomenclature and and who's lining up where is is not necessarily um, Mike uh, versus Will. Because certainly from a profile standpoint and i've talked with some people about this yeah eric gentry is, is not your typical mike linebacker um you know shane lee definitely is now in terms of their style of play shane lee is the the bruiser the basher the guy that gets into the a gap and, and, and makes the tackle and takes on blocks whereas gentry is a guy you want to have in space you want cleaning up plays and that's really what your will is so i don't know i, I really you know i need to stop and kind of watch the games from that standpoint and, and see if I can watch them and see if they're actually playing Mike and Will that way, or there's something else going on. Because I know that during the recruiting process, there was a player that, and and I want to say it was Isaiah Chisholm who had said something similar about being recruited to play Will, but basically describing the Will position as a Mike linebacker. But then came back later and said, oh, yeah, I was confused by that. And it, and it made sense because I was like, well, yeah, you're basically you're We're describing all the <laughs> linebacker, but they're saying that you're going to play well. So it might be just a little gamesmanship, quite frankly, for the media as well. I think I want to say that Justin Wilcox did something similar to that at one point where the nine, the linebacker names did not make sense. And somebody on the team had basically said, yeah, well, it's not supposed to make sense for you guys because it's just they're just throwing that out there. Um, you know, to maybe confuse other teams from a schematic standpoint. I don't know. I, I think when you watch film, you're just looking to see what numbers where and what they do, and then your assignment is based on that. I don't think people go, okay, Mike Linebacker, this is what you do against the Mike Linebacker. That's, that, that's, um, that's you know, maybe when you're just preparing over the spring, but when you're actually doing game installs, you usually know exactly who's who and what numbers what, and, you know, your players are preparing for that specific number and how he plays, what his tendencies are tendencies and our final question comes from trojan sage sage sagey i always butcher this one i'm so sorry he actually has two questions 
One was about Sam Green, which I hope we answered at the top of the show three hours ago. Uh, but he has a long list of prospects in the 2024 class. With USC showing with USC showing well in the past few games, how do you like our chances with modern day and Bosco kids in the 2024 cycle? Names uh, include Elijah Brown, DeAndre Carter, Brandon Baker, Aiden Breland, Xavier Brown, Kristen Dunbar-Hawkins, uh, Kingston, Biliamu Asa, Jordan Lockhart, Marcellus Williams, and Peyton Woodyard. I'm just going to go down this list very quickly. Uh, Elijah Brown, quarterback, kind of hard to read with quarterbacks with uh, Lincoln Riley and how he you know, recruits them. But he is the latest 2024 quarterback that he offered, so I'm assuming that he is number one on their board, and they're kind of looking at it that way. So along with DJ Lagway, who you know is kind of blowing up this year, it might be a little bit harder to pull. But with Caleb Williams playing so well, you never know. But I would say kind of medium with Elijah Brown. DeAndre Carter, I would say high with Carter. Brandon Baker, I always get the impression that Oregon is kind of the leader, a slight leader with uh, Brandon just because of his family ties there. But I will say USC is very firmly in it. Aiden Breland, I really have no read on him. He's kind of an enigma to me and I think to you as well, Gerard. Zabian Brown, haven't really heard much about Zabian. Uh, Dunbar Hopkins, Hawkins excuse me, is an interesting one just because of the, uh, the Hawkins connection. Uh, new staff, uh, wondering to see if the, you know, they'll be recruiting him more heavily. Does he have the reoffer, Gerard? No, and he won't go to USC. Yes, that's kind of what I was dancing around. But so kind of nix that one. Uh, Kingston, always kind of hard to read with Kingston. Very low key. I've always gotten Ohio State vibes from him. But I know that, you know, playing close to home could be big for him. And Lincoln Riley and Odom have put the pressure on him. Not the pressure, but the uh, the the recruitment on him. You know, they're they're consistently Full talking with him. Huh? Full, Full court, court press. press. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so I do get slight Ohio state vibes from him. That's just the vibe. Uh, but I will say USC like Baker is firmly in there. Jordan Lockhart, Ole Miss commit, uh, USC pushing very hard for Jordan Lockhart. Uh, I would be shocked if he ended up at Ole Miss. You know, I feel just with the way USC showing him love, I'm not saying it's going to flip to USC. I'm just saying, you know, they're making a very interesting recruitment. And he said multiple times, they're going to listen to, Everybody in the recruitment, so definitely not closed. Uh, Marcellus Williams, obviously the brother of Max Williams. I've always gotten this kid is going out of state, you know, heralded as the best of the Williams brothers, the best of the Williams trio in terms of his, you know, physical abilities. Uh, But, you know, Max is playing well. That staff loves Max, and I know they're recruiting Marcellus hard. So, you know, I I was an early, you know, this guy's going to go out of state guy, but I kind of been – Pushing back a little bit more, pulling back that, you know, I would not be shocked if Marcel stayed around, especially after the way the season, if Max has a big season and kind of the love that they've shown and support him. That's big for them. And Peyton Woodyard is another guy I've always felt kind of Ohio State kind of out of state. But I do know that he really does like uh, USC. And I think with this staff, it's making him think twice about maybe leaving the state. But I do see USC good contender there. I just maybe see Ohio State a little bit more, but again, still 2024 guys. They have a big season. I think they'll they'll move up a lot with a lot of these kids. Gerard, I don't know if there's anyone you specifically want to touch on. Just give me my thoughts on those uh, that list of guys. 
Yeah, so I think Elijah Brown, uh, I agree. USC's trying to make a good impression again. You know, you can never make a good uh, second impression. What, what's, the, what's the saying? It's never too late to make a good first impression. Um, but they don't think it would be a first impression for Elijah Brown and USC because they did offer him a scholarship and then they kind of stopped recruiting him. And then they reoffered him <laughs> later on after Oregon and Alabama. So I do think USC is trying to get back into that right now. Uh, DeAndre Carter, I think, likes USC a lot. I, I would say that um, they're probably a favorite for him. Uh, I know that Oregon's there as well and some other schools, uh, Ohio State. But I think USC has done enough that uh, they are among that lead pack. Uh, Brandon Baker, the same thing. It's kind of a USC-Oregon thing. His brother Gary did play at Oregon. Um, but I think USC's done a good job uh, you know, pushing themselves into the, the, the real conversation of sort of uh, you know, either or right now. And I think that's the best USC can do until they get to a point where um, they can really sell that, you know, they're going to be dominant offensively. And certainly I think a more balanced approach uh, going back to the recruiting angle with them running the football, that's a big deal for offensive linemen as well. It's not just a big deal for the running backs. It's a big deal for offensive linemen because offensive linemen do not like to just play on their heels the whole game. They do not want to be in pass pro for 50 snaps a game. So uh, with those two guys at modern day, which has a, a really good run game, they want to see some physicality. They want to be a part of a physical run game. And I think USC has uh, shown a little bit of that in the first two games of the season. Uh, Aiden Breland. Yeah. Uh, not really big or focused on football right now. Um, kind of have to see how he develops. He's lost some weight. I don't know if it's necessarily made him uh, a better prospect for it. Uh, so he's, he's one of those guys who just hasn't been around, uh, you know, USC very much. I don't think he's been around many schools very much. Again, I don't think he's really into football that way. And um, that's going to be something that from an evaluation standpoint, USC is going to have to look at. Xavier Brown, uh, one of the top defenders uh, that modern day has. I think he likes USC a lot, has a very good relationship with Dante Williams, I would say USC is among that lead group for him. Um, so he, they have a very good chance at him. Uh, Kingston, Malamu, Asa. Um, I think USC is among the top schools for him too. Uh, again, those Bosco kids do have a lot of interest in Ohio State. Uh, there's uh, been some kids from Bosco that have gone to Ohio State and they've, uh, they've played well. And so USC is really battling Ohio State a lot for those kids. And I think that's really where it is right now for him. Um, Jordan Lockhart, I think very high on USC, committed to Ole Miss, but I've heard some things that, you know, he could, uh, you know, maybe in a few weeks start to reconsider that commitment to uh, Ole Miss, and uh, he's looking hard at USC, and USC has picked up the press on him a bit. Uh, Marcellus Williams, you know, I'll defer to Chris on that because he's uh, definitely talked to Marcellus more times than I have. Um, I think it's going to be tough with his brother playing as well at USC as he has. To not go to USC, you know, to, to not sort of follow in the footsteps. I do have a little bit of pushback on him being the best brother of them all. I mean, you know, people kind of forget how good Max was at Sarah. I mean, he was a really, really good football player at Sarah. And he's shown to be a really, really good football player despite two ACL surgeries at USC. I mean, the guy just makes plays. He's not the mm -hmm. biggest guy in the world. He's not the fastest guy in the world. I know that there are people that were on the last staff, and I won't name names, who said, he can't play at USC. They shouldn't mm. have recruited him. Why did mm. they bring him at USC? And he is shown to be a guy that very much not just belongs at USC, but belongs in the starting lineup. So uh, I think, you know, that's going to play to some extent with Marcellus Williams. And Peyton Woodyard, I've heard um, USC is school to beat. I've actually heard straight up that okay. USC is okay. very confident there with Peyton Woodyard. Maybe too confident. You know, maybe it's another thing like Mateo Ngulele where you just kind of get one side of the story. But from that side, 
Uh, USC has definitely uh, looked at him as uh, a guy that uh, um, the sources I've spoken to feel like, uh, you know, that's uh, that's a kid that's very much um, sort of uh, in the wings waiting uh, as, a, as a safety prospect that uh, might end up in the commit list at uh, some point uh, early next year. Oh, I know that is a good note to end this podcast on Gerard, a very highly recruited safety hurricane calling a straight up a favorite maybe for the Trojans. So I think that's a good place to end on Gerard. Any closing thoughts as we wrap up another edition of composite two-star recruits? I look forward to the fall. I look forward to the leaves falling. I look forward to getting rid of all this humidity and feeling like we live in Indonesia. Absolutely. I, I agree a hundred percent. Hopefully it was a little bit cooler for you. Uh, today we're doing a little bit later, not a late night podcast. Those are, not going to be around for a while, but I'm hoping you stayed a little bit cool in that uh, that garage, Gerard. I appreciate it. I appreciate we're, you putting yourself we're, through we're it. Worried. We're worried with this week. Uh, where are we time? We're not at the three hour mark. I think this was definitely. Oh, absolutely. Really- this is a very, this is like a hour podcast compared to all the other ones. We're about two eleven today. Okay. Okay. They got in our heads. Saying, These people that wanted shorter, they got in our heads. Well, I was going to say, yeah, we're going to get called out for that. We, we, we caved into the pressure of making it only an hour and a half podcast. But uh, thankfully, it was two hours, so we can uh, say no. We, we're holding our ground. It's unique. It's different to have a podcast in which we really try to go in and give some explanation to these subjects. Recruiting is not a very simple thing. It's not a win or loss type of thing. There is a lot that goes in behind of it, a lot of backstory. And so we try to give as much perspective as we can, you know, obviously are on the ground talking to these players as well as other sources, high school sources, et cetera. So it does take a little bit more explanation than, uh, you know, how did uh, the starting quarterback look uh, this week? There you go. So that's going to wrap up another edition of the composite two-star recruits. I'm Chris, that's Troy Annenberg. uh, And we will catch you next time on the composite two-star recruits. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You don't want to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.